that you were going to do parade so the the low singing that came out of your mouth was the opposite of what oh, i was so expecting to happen adam would you do barbara streisand as your snatch game no absolutely not who do you think i wouldn't want her to hate me yeah who would be your snatch game character oh. immediate detour everyone pick a snatch game character <laughs> this is the closing game. the closing this week for this episode is <laughs> Um, I mean, she would be a good one. Has anyone done? Someone's Manila done. did. Manila in, did Barbara. That's in right. La, yeah, but like did a a very. She did like a late Barbara. Yes, very like turtleneck, oversized sweater. Oprah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Oprah interview Barbara. Yes. Um, I don't know, Molly. You probably would, you would do? have done Pauline, but I Ben De- Dela already did it. Dela did it. <laughs> Dela. Um. All I know is that I uh, famously I love drag queens who are very messy, and so I feel like I would either just do Adore Delano, or I would try oh, to yeah. think of another like extremely messy pop culture, like her Anna Nicole Smith kind yes. of a character. But I don't, I don't have a good. Um, I feel like I would have a pretty good Alaska impression. Mm. Yeah, I think Adore yeah, but, would be fun, and then yeah. at just the end of the game, just go. I don't belong here. I don't, I don't belong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Midway through, you start crying and just and leave. leave. That would be a gag. That would be great. Um, yeah. I feel like Alaska and Alyssa are like the two safe choices. If you like can't think of anything else to do, do yeah. one of those two. Yeah. yeah. But didn't somebody somebody did Alyssa last uh, Vi- year? Violet Chachki did Alyssa. Her year. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it someone wasn't else good. did it too. I think, but but I feel like it's often picked by a queen who knows they're not going to be great at snatch games. Yeah, and so it's it'll just get like it past. It'll keep them safe. Yeah, is like usually the the choice. But Jinx is Judy Garland. Oh my god, Unbeatable. I assume Unmatchable. you watched that episode. Unmatchable. Unmatchable. Created the created snatch game. I am so excited as a Jinx Monsoon stan who was very nervous that she was not going to be one of the tops for this yeah. season that she has absolutely proven me wrong. And I'm delighted. I, I truly think it's Jinx's to lose. Like she is, if she plays her cards right, but I do think everyone is starting to see that they're like, Oh, right. Jinx is great at this. I think, so Jinx I think and she might get blocked. Jinx and Shay to me are vying for the top. Yeah. Because also- Shay is consummate competent queen this episode you know? is gonna come out and i'm sure like the show is already oh it's gonna be over, for over. Sure. Yeah. i don't know i think it's gonna be <laughs> raven well I think that's good. Raven is good. <laughs> then we'll we'll be able to look back and see how wrong our predictions this, this were, all is being cut so it's okay fine. it's the best part of showgaze when we listen back and we're like wow can't believe we talked about will smith of that episode ahead <laughs> yeah no- oh my god I keep, episodes texting, in a row. I keep texting Adam and RJ as episodes come out that we recorded months ago being like, well, that sounds really weird that we speculate about X thing and definitely changed our tune about it as a culture since that time. The world changes fast, y'all. 
It is funny that we all kind of just like all said, like, I'm sure nothing will be crazy. Like, you know, it's not going to go. Everything stayed the same for the past two years. Maybe it'll be fine now. No. We're moving back, baby. Back. Bit, we've built back better. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> we did it, Joe. <laughs> this week, RJ, you have the arduous task of summarizing the plot of Funny Girl. In one minute yeah. or less, are you up to the challenge? I think so. I think I wrote something that maybe a minute, maybe less. It feels less. So we'll see. All right. This is your one minute challenge. Your time starts now. Funny Girl is a movie loosely based on the life of famed Broadway comedian Fanny Bryce. The movie starts with her about to start a performance waiting for her husband, Nikki Arnstein's return from prison. And she looks back at how it all came to be. Fanny starts out getting a job and she, uh, filling in for a local vaudeville show and fumbles through a roller skating act that the audience eats up. Then she sings a debut song, which establishes her as a funny performer with a beautiful voice. This also marks her first meeting with the suave Nikki Arnstein. Then six months later, she gets hired to be a member of of the Ziegfeld Follies. And instead of playing a romantic song straight, she performs it as a pregnant bride that infuriates Ziegfeld, but drives the audience wild and gives her five 60 fast Fanny curtain calls. She becomes a Ziegfeld star and Nikki meets her again and this time spends the evening with her and her family. A year later, they meet while the Follies are on tour and on the brink of finally kindling a relationship. Nikki admits he needs to get on a boat to play poker and cannot be together. Fanny decides to go for love this time and leaves the tour to join Nikki in his travels and ends up marrying him and having a child together. And then Nikki's career as a gambling man goes south while Fanny's stardom continues to rise to the point of Nikki joining in a bond scam after refusing to help finan- to be helped financially by Fanny, sending him to jail. The movie ends with Nikki finally coming out of prison, decide- deciding mutually they shouldn't be together, but Fanny thinks at the end of the movie that he will always be my man. That's one minute and 20 seconds. Oh, your confidence at the beginning of confidence. that and then the, yeah. the growing panic. Funny girl is a Funny girl is you, you got to like the first 10 minutes of the movie within the first like 15 seconds of that description. And then, <laughs> it was very worried. And then at the end, it just started becoming a Nicki Minaj like early verse. Like... <laughs> <laughs> um, RJ, what is your uh, history with this movie funny girl well thank you um you're welcome <laughs> all right listeners mark this off on your bingo cards as another musical that rj learned through from american idol season three latoya oh, london performed don't rain on my parade in big band night which was like i always i always actually thought that don't rain on my parade was like a you know big band brassy jazzy standard because uh and then yeah. And then uh, the next season, Von Zell Solomon sang People uh, on Musicals Night. And that's when they were like, this is from a musical, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, but People became kind of like, I, I loved People. I like thought of it as like a soulful, because Von Zell has like a very like soulful voice that I always thought it was like a soulful Von ballad. Zell. Yes, Von Zell from, from Las Culturistas fame. From game show fame. Game show on. Uh, so she sang it as like this, you know, this like ballad with like, and she takes it up at the end where she goes in the world. <laughs> and so that's how I always picture that song. So when I watched it for the first time in freshman year, I was shocked that that's not how that <laughs> that song went. But freshman year, I watched it for the very first time with my friend at the time, Adam, and my roommate Martin. Because Martin is was like the biggest Barbra Streisand fan I'd ever known. I think to this day is still the biggest Barbra Streisand mm-hmm. fan that I know. 
Um, and I fell asleep watching this movie right after Sadie, Sadie, Married Lady. Well, uh, so this was my first time watching Act Two, basically. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I feel when you say the names of people who've been on American Idol, it's the same feeling I get as when people from New York tell me where they were based off of the number of street that they were on. As <laughs> if that should mean something to me. Or like in California when they tell you like freeways. Yeah, yeah. what freeways they La took. Siena. And it's we like, were you're saying that like that means something that that to means everyone something. in the conversation <laughs> and it, it truly just doesn't have any meaning to me. So I'm like, glad those people. I had, I had to go from those, Long yeah. Beach all the way to Irvine. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Great. Well, Congrats. <laughs> I don't even know if that's an applicable. Applic- they could be right next to each other. I don't know. I literally don't even. But know. then with the traffic, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. The traffic. <laughs> Molly, uh, what do you? What is your history with uh, Miss <laughs> Funny Girl? Ha ha ha! Comedian. Yeah, I watched Funny Girl when I want to say I was like a preteen or something. That's like around the age. I feel like maybe 13, 14. I'm pretty sure it was on TV. And I was like, I've heard of this as a movie. And I watched it. And it was like a fine movie. I actually thought I didn't remember it very well. But then once I was watching it, I pretty much did remember the entire plot. It's just that the plot's very flimsy. So there wasn't Mm -hmm. that much to it. So it's long been kind of in my catalog of musicals that's like, a fine musical with a few really standout songs in it, which I think I still feel is basically mm-hmm. the right assessment. Yeah, I fully agree with that assessment for sure. Um, I knew I'm trying to remember the timeline of events. Um, I believe I saw this pre Glee because Glee brought this back into the resurgence. The zeitgeist. Uh, because of Miss Rachel Berry singing uh, Don't Rain on My Parade at sectionals, as we all remember. Um, coming from the back of the house, uh, leaving the girls gooped and gagged. Um, <laughs> but I think I saw this before. I don't remember for sure, though. Uh, it could have all just been around the same time, like senior year of high school. But um, I remember being like, similar to you, I was like, yeah, it's good. I remember being like, She's great. I don't know if I love the movie. And like, I haven't watched it a bunch. I think this was maybe my fourth time seeing it, which is Mm -hmm. like, I guess, a lot in the terms of like movies you see throughout your life. But when you compare it to something like The Sound of Music, which I think I've seen like 600 times, it's a (laughs) bit different. Um, Yeah, I've never seen it on stage, though. And there is a there is a currently a revival as of this recording. Let's let me preface that by saying as of this recording, there is currently a revival on Broadway. There, yes, there is a revival in 2022. And but that is the first revival of it since Streisand yeah. played the role originally. <laughs> so on Broadway. Part, now, I mean, obviously, we we all wouldn't have been going to see it on Broadway either way, but I'm not sure it's done all that often as a stage show. Yeah. No, I would assume it's a very hard show to do, not necessarily because of anything about the show specifically, but just like finding that. The right. It's the like right it's like doing like yeah. a Jerry Herman musical. Like it's hard. You have to like have actors in mind to want to do like, you know, like Mame or like. What are oh or, Mame? I don't know any Jerry Herman. That doesn't mean Hello anything Dolly. To me. Dolly. Dolly. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Where it's like there's a clear star. Like there are clear stars that you, or at yeah. least people that have like that talent to carry a show. Yeah, because I think the 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 well we'll talk about this later. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's move on to some facts and figures. 
So we're going to start by talking about the history of Fanny Bryce. Uh, Molly, I know that you did a little bit of in-depth analyses on Miss Bryce and her life. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to wait till later? I think it makes sense to talk about now because I'm going to tell you like the whole story of her life and it feels like it won't, it wouldn't make sense to get in like in and out of the movie with it. So I think it makes more sense to give you this, this background. Great. So, uh, I will say that the the interesting thing was I didn't go out when I was doing research necessarily to focus on Fanny Bryce. I actually thought that there would be more scholarship on Funny Girl because in my mind, this is like a capital I important movie to like Jewish women in particular. And so I thought there would be like analysis of that, but I actually really struggled to find things that were about this movie. Mm-hmm. So I ended up looking into Franny Bryce instead just because I could find information about her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fanny Bryce was born in 1891 as Fania Borach, I'm guessing is how you pronounce her last name. Her father, Charles, gambled away the earnings that her mother earned at her saloon and ended up dying estranged from her family, which I thought was really interesting oh. that they did not put that at all in the no. musical or movie because... Mm-hmm. It obviously parallels her later life and seems like a kind of an interesting fact about her background. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 1907, she was cast in the chorus of George M. Cohan's Talk of New York, which is one of the three shows that he wrote for the 07 to 08 Broadway season. But she was fired before the opening, which I think is sort of like probably what they're referencing in the scene where we kind of first see her performing. And then she turned to burlesque, which was, quote, the least selective branch of the entertainment business, unquote. <laughs> uh, she then changed her name because she was sick of people sick of people calling her Borax or Borak. But um, Grossman, oh, a lot of my facts are from an article by Barbara Wallace Grossman in the Jewish Women's Archive. Um, so Grossman also says, like, it seems like it's probably also related, though, to making her seem less Jewish, less mm-hmm. ethnic, less foreign. In 1909, she got cast in College Girls and the second act number, Sadie Salom uh, Go Home, written by Irving Berlin, was like her big, like, first first number she did that, like, got her kind of buzz around Sadie her. Sadie Salom, right? Yeah. Shalom, probably. Sadie, sh- well, it's S-A-L-O-M-E. Oh. I Not like Salom, like the name, like the French name. I don't know. I just assumed I it had to write with had to rhyme with home. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, because it could also be Salome, because I know that I also read something about her doing some numbers where she would like parody Salome, like the cut cut the guy's head off, does the dance, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, biblical figure. Um, so I'm not sure. Anyway, it was a song by Irving Berlin, though, and the point is, Great. it was her first <laughs> number that she did where she she did it in a Yiddish accent. Um, which was not how she spoke. She did not speak Yiddish, but Berlin mm. did. And one source that I read said, like, he taught her how to sing in a Yiddish accent for this. So it was mm. kind of like the Cute. invention of that persona for her. Um, and <laughs> the, a lot of the sources that I read really emphasized how racial comedy was, like, very hot at the turn of the 20th century. So uh, it made her very popular to be, like, playing into an ethnic stereotype. Um Several articles that I read implied that she was like kind of behind her comedic turn in the follies, but there wasn't any like specific stories. So in the movie, it's like played like 
she just tells Zigfield what she's going to do and just mm-hmm. like goes mm-hmm. off on her own and makes decisions. And that was like kind of implied that that's what happened, but it wasn't, there wasn't anything solid behind that. So I don't think it's very clear, like how much of this was Bryce and how much of that was Zigfeld of like, we're going to put you in this role. Uh, but one interesting thing is that in 1915, she hired the songwriter Blanche Merrill, who she worked with in collaboration to develop her like comedian character. And so she does seem to have been like, really invested in like I'm going to brand myself and I'm going to like do this uh like be distinctive for this thing she also tried for a while to develop her talents as a dramatic actor but then critics like were not very receptive to her attempts at that in 1910 she impulsively married the barber Frank White but they never lived together and they divorced in 1913 so it's not super clear like how real that marriage was also because in 1912 so before she was divorced she was when she met Nikki Arnstein, mm-hmm. who was also already married. So um, some sources I read were saying, like, this whole, like, she's all innocent kind of uh, portrayal in the movie is, like, very much not true. She was already mm-hmm. married before. Um, in 1915, Arnstein was sent to Sing Sing for wiretapping. So also the idea that she, like, marries him without knowing that he's oh. a crook is definitely not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um In 1920 is when he was indicted for a bond robbery, and then Bryce funded his trial and his appeals. He was convicted in 1924, and then they divorced after he was released in 1927. Part of their divorce, however, was due to his flagrant infidelity, also not something touched upon in this movie. Um, And apparently he had no qualms about sponging off of his wife, which is uh, treated as a major plot point that he cares about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bryce said later admitted that she was shocked at the time that he did nothing to stop the proceedings or to contest the decree allowing her sole custody of her two children. So that sort of implies that while she decided to divorce him, she sort of thought that he would maybe fight for their marriage a little bit more. But the reasoning behind why maybe the portrayal of Nikki, well, not positive in this movie, is like more generous than maybe who he really was, is that the producer of Funny Girl was the husband of um, Francis. That's the child's name, right? Yeah, their daughter. Okay, I, I wrote France, which is clearly not <laughs> Francis's husband. The country. So, yeah. So this was her, his father-in-law that he was writing, his father-in-law ah. and mother-in-law that he, that he was producing a musical about. Yeah. As well, Nikki was also still alive and apparently known for being litigious. So um, he may have been making a strategic decision to betray him sympathetically. Mm. Then in 1921, so remember he was he was first like arrested in 1920 is when Mm -hmm. she premiered the song, my man, which is what closes funny girl, Mm -hmm. um, which was an uncharacteristically serious song for her. And I also read some things that said it was almost like the first torch song that was ever written. Mm. That's like in that style. Mm -hmm. Um, And she performed it to capitalize on the like publicly tumultuous relationship that she was in. Um, Very publicly, very publicly. Uh, it was interesting because another source that I read talked about how this tw- 1921 version, their recordings of it, seems like almost less serious than it gets over time. It's like more up tempo. And by like 1938, it's more down tempo. Um, but like the legal troubles with Nick had already started. So it's not like, oh, I did this song before I realized its significance. And then later it got significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if the change is like, like maybe there was a change in her personal perspective on it, but it wasn't like her life was easy before that. 
Right. Um, actually, and then after that, I think we're going to get into stuff that happens in her life that's after the events of Funny Girl. So maybe let me pause this background here. And then maybe after we talk about the movie, I can talk about what happened later in her career. Sure. Cool. And we'll talk about Funny Lady, maybe one other in, in a future film. Oh, yeah. Film. I didn't do any research in Funny Lady, so. I haven't. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I almost clicked on it just to read the plot. And then I was like, no, I'm I'm sure we'll do it one day. Probably. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's great. The only thing I have to add to this is this crazy bonkers story. So there's like this whole section on in the Fanny Bryce Wikipedia page. Shout out to Wikipedia. <laughs> Shout out to you, girl. Make sure um, you donate. Make sure you donate. Um, on the Wikipedia page, it says portrayals of Fanny Bryce in popular culture. And so I was like, well, obviously it's going to talk about Funny Girl. It also talks about um, there was like another uh, she she portrayed herself in like the Zigfield Follies film that gets made in like 36 or something like that. Anyway, but then there's also this really fascinating film called The Rose of Washington Square. And I'm going to read you the quick plot summary of this film. Ted Cotter, a successful Broadway minstrel performer, spots Rose Sargent performing in a vaudeville amateur night. He immediately takes a personal and professional interest in her, helping her career along as she joins the famed Zigfield Follies and begins to achieve stardom. Rose does not recognize Ted's love for her, falling instead for Bart Clinton, a gambler and con man. Hmm. Mm. Bart's nefarious activities get him arrested. Hmm. Mm. And after Ted puts up his bail, Bart skips down. Rose pines away for him until one night when Bart goes to the Follies and hears her tearful rendition of the song, My Man. Oh my God. He realizes the error of his ways and sets out to make things right. As Bart is sent away for a five-year prison sentence, Rose says, I'll be waiting, darling. So literally, obviously inspired by the events of uh, Fanny Bryce's life, guess who did not get any... Uh, any money for this film being made, Miss Fanny Bryce. So what did she do? She sued 20th Century Fox for the uh, total sum of $750,000, which today in 2022 would be $15,599,406.47, as it was clearly based on her life. And then they just ended up setting way out of court. So we don't know what the official number that they settled for was, but she she did get her coins for them fully ripping off her life to make a movie about her. There was something that I don't remember what sparks this curiosity, but I was recently looking up like, what is the legal definition of like the rights to your life story? Like, do I just like have that? Like, what is the deal with that? And apparently there's like not, you don't technically own the events of your own life. Mm -hmm. Like they are public domain. So I don't remember what it is that you can sue people for, but it's like kind of legally a gray area, I guess, which is, which is sort of weird. And like, I don't know, like you could, you guys could just make a movie about a character like named Molly Matiny and just like, <laughs> just like have it be wild stuff that happens. And I don't know that I could do anything about it. Cause like, I, you know, there's no like trademark on right. what happened in my life. So the only weird. thing that I think that gave her backing is that they used my man without her permission. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and maybe also the <laughs> rules are different. Like if you are a public figure, and so the events of your life are like public. You could, well, and we, you could profit off well, of them. We are right? public figures, Molly, because we make a huge successful podcast. Hugely successful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, truly millions of people are interested. Clamoring in to hear. <laughs> um, that was the only thing I thought that was interesting about Fanny, but you literally covered everything else. So thank you. Let's move on to the show. So Funny Girl 
The music is by Julie Stein. Lyrics by Bob Merrill. The book is by Isabel Leonard. Uh, I believe this is our first female book writer. I could be wrong. I I was just 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 simply going off the top of the dome with that one. But Isabel Leonard certainly. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to say certainly not a very common role for women to have in musical theater in general. Especially in 1960, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, So I was like, oh, let's look at her little life story. What is she known for? So her big thing is like she's known for writing the book and the screenplay for um, this film. Fine. Great. Um, also, she started in the mailroom for MGM in New York. She tried to organize a union, then they got fired for it. Then she joined the Communist Party in the 40s, wrote a bunch yeah. of movies for MGM, left the Communist Party in 45, testified and named 23 people to the House oh, of no. American Activities Committee in oh, 52. No. She won an Academy Award nomination for Love Me or Leave Me in 64. Uh, she does Funny Girl and then the film. And then she wins the Writers Guild Best Screenplay Award for the adapt or the screenplay for Funny Girl and then dies three years later in a car crash. So a life lived. Wow. A life, a life lived. lived. It's, I tattling, it's tattling for me. To- <laughs> she did say yeah. it was like it was like in 1970, which is I think was the year before she died. She said in an interview that she regrets she regrets having done it and blah, 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 blah. But she was worried that they were going to come for her and blacklist yeah, her because she had yeah. actually been a member of the Communist Party. Yeah. So. That's that's fair. And I guess I never thought about the fact that like, yeah, people got backlisted, blacklisted for being identified as communists. So that means the people who testified against them were not blacklisted. But it, fe- it feels like Hollywood would have been like, we also don't want you to work on yeah, this stuff exactly. anymore. Yeah. But I guess that wasn't their reaction. And yeah, that's interesting. Actually, some of the research I did as well, just about like uh, Jewish identity, one thing that they talked about was how no, you know what? It's, I'm going to save it for later. I'm going to save it for later. I, there's there's connections between Judaism and like the Red Scare and concerns at that mm. time about Jewish people being read as like being likely to be communists. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so I'm going to talk about the development process for the musical very quickly, as quickly as I possibly can. As we said, Girl, right, there are 20 more than 26, 28 bullets. In I know, this quick but synopsis. It's, it's wild. So Ray Stark, <laughs> who is the son in law of Fanny Bryce, he's married to her daughter, Frances, commissioned a biography based on Fanny's dictated tapes. Um, but he saw publication on the book called The Fabulous Fanny because he was like, this is bad. <laughs> Great. OK, so it'd be then he was like, well, we'll make a biopic film. It's going to be great. He hires a writer. He doesn't write a good one. He hires 11 different people to try to write a screenplay. Nobody comes up with a good screenplay. So he's shit out of luck. As Isabel, do, you know, do you know if he tried to hire 11 people in succession or 11 people at once to write a screenplay? I would assume in succession. That's my guess. But it did not specify. It just said like the first guy's name who I didn't even write down because he didn't get the gig. So who cares? Yeah. Um, but wild. So... Isabel Leonard uh, submits a screen. Oh, I'm sorry. The last screenplay he gets is Isabel Leonard's, which is called My Man. Um, and then he was like, oh, this one's pretty good. And then Columbia Pictures also was like, this is pretty good. We could do this. And then Mary Martin, right? Mary the Martin. Mary Martin. The Mary, Mary Martin. Martin, which we're all like, how is she figuring this story? She reads it and she's like, oh, this should actually, this should be a great stage musical. And they're like, well, okay, we could think about it. And so Julie Stein 
gets involved with Stephen Sondheim for book wow. or for music and lyrics. And then Stephen Sondheim is like, I'm not doing the life of Fanny Bryce with Mary Martin. She's not Jewish. You need someone ethnic for the part. <laughs> That's a direct quote. That, it started good and then it ended b- badly. OK, yeah. <laughs> so Sondheim's out. Mary Martin then backs out right afterwards. Then Jerome Robbins is set to direct. They're still looking for a Fanny. He brings on Anne Bancroft. OK, miracle worker. Hello. So uh, Dorothy Fields, who wrote a bunch of music uh, that I've never I mean, like songs I've heard of, but I just didn't know that she was like the lyricist for it. She's offered a chance to write lyrics. She was like, no, I'm good. Thank you so much. Bob Merrill ends up agreeing to write the lyrics and him and uh, Julie Stein. Stein, right? Julie Stein. Is that what I said? They finish the score together. So they go over to L.A. or wherever Anne Bancroft lived. I have no idea. I'm assuming L.A. They play it for her, but she has a previous altercation with Meryl and she doesn't like him. So they play her the entire score. And then she says, I want no part of this. It's not for me. So she drops out of the project. So then they are like, oh, well, Edie Gourmet is great. Slay, we love. (laughs) And she was like, I'll literally only do it if my husband is allowed to play Nick because they were like a husband wife like duo. Like at this point in their careers, they were like always perform together. And they were like, no, he's not right for the part. So she was like, sorry, shut out of luck. So then they go to Carol Burnett. And they're like, Carol Burnett, you're such a comedic actress. You're great. We love you. And she's like, I'd love to do it. But you need a Jewish girl. Stop (laughs) doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and so Julie Stein is like, you know, I went and saw I got a, I can get it for you wholesale, which was Barbara's first musical on Broadway that she was in. And he was like, she was great. You should get her. So they have her audition. She's wearing like all thrifted clothes. She looks like a mess, allegedly. I don't believe that because Barbara Streisand, but allegedly. And uh, uh, Fran St- Francis Stark, who is. Fanny Bryce's daughter is in the like room and she like has obvious distaste on her face for Barbara Streisand, which <laughs> and then Ray was like, well, I'll still, I'll still hire. Her. She's great. She sounds great. Uh, she has the chops. Blah, blah, blah. So then Robbins ends up Jerome Robbins drops out as director because he had an argument with Leonard. So it was like she goes or I go. So he went Bob Fosse then gets hired to direct and then he quits. Garson Kaneen, who directed and the um Diary Van Frank on Broadway. He was hired to direct. Barbara was like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He, I don't like any of his decisions because he wanted to cut the song People from Funny oh Girl. God. And she, they were like, no. Barbara had literally already recorded the single and Meryl was like, it's the best thing she'll ever do in her entire life. You cannot cut this song. So uh, Kaneen is like, fine, I'll keep it in only because by this point in the tryouts, the audience reaction in the overture when they would hear the people. the people segment get played it was already popular enough that it would get an applause in the overture wow which is like <laughs> something that doesn't happen today let's no. just say that um so then finally they're in the boston tryouts uh it's too long the critics reviews is too it's too long streisand is good but the show's bad so <laughs> leonard deletes 30 minutes of the show uh, and then they do a Philadelphia tryout and um, the critics are like, it could be a hit if the book is good, but I don't know what happened after that other than five songs got cut. And then the uh, I am woman, you are man got turned into a solo into a counterpoint song. Um, and then Jerome Robbins finally returns to oversee the choreography. It opens in New York uh, in March of 1964. It closes July of 1967 and at the time, the New York Times, when it opened on Broadway, praised Streisand and parts of the show focused on her career, but criticized the sentimentality of the romance. 
Hmm. Which I would say, not to spoil what I think about this story in general, but I do think the strongest parts of this movie are like her and the career and not like the love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But But it does make sense now that like the people behind the original production are are very uh, intertwined with just everyone. (laughs) The names alone in this, like, I can't. It's crazy. Yeah, It's so much. I also just feel like the sentimentality is not the issue with the romance for me. No, no. I'm excited to talk about it. So Funny Girl uh, is directed by William Wyler. Uh, the screenplay, again, is by Isabel Leonard. Um, it is produced by Ray Stark. It stars Barbara Streisand as Fanny Bryce, Omar Sharif as Nick Arnstein, and Kay Medford as Mrs. Bryce, uh, Fanny's mother. Cinematography is by Henry Harry Stradling Sr. It is edited by William Sands and Maury Weintraub. Music and lyrics, again, by Julie Stein and Bob Merrill, the production company's Ray Stars, distributed by Columbia Pictures. It's released on September 18th, 1968. It's my sister's birthday. Uh, there are two running times, which I don't understand. The original release was 149 minutes, and the 2002 re-release is 155 minutes. So it's a six-minute difference. I don't know what's added. They probably didn't need yeah. to add it back in, to and be I honest. Know, I don't know now which version we watch. So Yeah, I would have to go look. Um, the budget was 14.1 million and its box office was 58.5. I don't know how much of that is like everything since it opened, but, uh, it it was the highest grossing movie of 1968 that I do know for sure. Wow. Columbia originally wanted to cast Shirley MacLaine. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't, (laughs) that idea of having Southern I mean, she's not like Southern Southern, but like Southern Shirley MacLaine, a Baptist of (laughs) Scottish origin, (laughs) actually Nova Scotia, but like Scotland. Yeah, I just I'm sorry. There's a lot going on there. And then um, Ray Stark was like, I will literally drop out of this project if you do not let Barbara do it. And they were like, "Okay, it's fine. We'll let her. It's fine. And Um, let me say that I feel so confident that this movie would just be an obscure footnote in history if Barbara Streisand were not in absolutely this role, right absolutely I can't wait to discuss this movie because <laughs> it's so bonkers okay and tell you about the criticism I found okay uh directors could have been Mike Nichols George Roy Hill Gene Kelly Sidney Lumet who directed The Wiz was signed but then dropped out due to creative differences and then William Wyler was finally hired um you should know those names if you don't, readers. Go look them up. Okay. Uh, Nick could have been Frank Sinatra. And then Barbara was like, no. Also, he, Frank Sinatra himself, was like, I need like five more songs and I need like this, yeah. that, and the other. And then... Was this before or after Guys and Dolls? This is after. This okay. is post-Dolls. Mm. So like, so yeah, it's way like, too old. Like, yeah, genuinely too and old. And also, like, I've done a movie where I didn't get to sing. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Ray Stark also was like, I think he's too old for the role, but wanted Cary Grant, who was 11 years older than Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so then they just go through like a who's who of Hollywood. It's Marlon Brando, Gregory Peck, Sean Connery, David Jansen, James Garner, Paul Newman. Finally, they settle on Omar Sharif. Fine. So Omar Sharif is Egyptian. I don't know if we know this. Now we do. Omar Sharif is Egyptian. He's from Egypt. Great, great, great. 
Lawrence of Arabia. There is a picture. I don't know if we are all familiar with the Six Days War between Egypt and Israel in 1967, I believe, 1967, 1968. So that happens. And then obviously Barbara Streisand is uh, Jewish. She's pro-Israel. She continues to be pro-Israel to this day. Fine. And uh, there is like the Egyptian press puts like a huge front page thing of like Omar Sharif is still of the film Omar Sharif kissing Barbara Streisand and is like Omar Sharif like is consorting with like a pro Israel like he's anti Egypt the apparently the country considered like revoking his like like citizenship of Egypt which seems like real wild it's it's insane but it's also making me think about when we reviewed the 1999 annie and they almost didn't let victor Garber and um, yes and audrey mcdonald kiss kiss because of black and white black white people kissing and the fact that two people who were who were affiliated with countries on either end of a war could be put in a movie together that's fine (laughs) because like a black lady absolutely not absolutely not cause too much controversy that we can't withstand it's so crazy also i would like to say during the six days war uh they were like filming the movie and i guess columbia was like i think we need to recast omar sharif (sighs) and then like William Wyler was like, "It's no, too late. We're not doing do it. no. Yeah. We're not doing that." And I guess he kept him in, which I just a lot. Things just don't. I feel like things don't happen like this anymore. I'm absolutely wrong. Hollywood's a trash machine. <laughs> we know this to be true. Um, Anne Francis, who plays a character named Georgia, who was created specifically for the movie, she's like the one Follies member who gets to speak outside of um, Fanny. Uh, she was like her part was nearly entirely cut from the film. She had like an entire arc of being like a boozy kind of like floundering uh, drunk uh, chorus member or whatever. And it just got chopped and chopped and chopped. And so she said that she blames Barbara Streisand for this, which Uh-oh. is wild because Barbara famously has a lot of creative control on her projects. Yeah. Let's put it, let's put it mildly. <laughs> I have, I have a, a, proposal that I want to put up later when we talk about it about who that character should have been based off of historical research that I did and um, so when we get to her uh let's talk about that um uh, for the uh uh I'm sorry what is this called for the academy, academy awards. awards oh what's that that, thi- that little thing that they do every once in a while <laughs> no, you those know, little participation a- annual man that they that they give people yeah, yeah. and yeah for the Oscars of 19, for the movies of 1968, uh, this was nominated for Best Picture, Best Sporting Actress uh, for Kay Medford, Mrs. Bryce, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Score, Best Song for Funny Girl, and Best Sound. Um, and Best Actress did go to Barbara Streisand. Famously, this is the last time two people have tied for a acting Oscar. This it's was a tie. It's a tie. This was Barbara Streisand won for Funny Girl and Catherine Hepburn won for Lion Lion and Winter. Winter. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a tie. It's a tie. Um, and then the only other thing we do need to make note of is that Barbara and Omar were having a real life affair during the filming of this film. <gasps> nice. So. Nice. Uh, much like there was another one we just did. Was it Camelot? 
Did I make? Am I making it up that Marlon Brando and um, what's her face had an affair? Yes, you're making okay. that up. We did just watch something though. Yeah, wasn't no Camelot was that Richard Harris was sexually harassing. <laughs> oh, oh, but it was it was um, <laughs> yeah it was uh, Vanessa Redgrave and the Italian oh, guy. And yes, were, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lance. They were Lance together Lance. and then because they, they got came... married forty years later. Yes. Um, Although, actually, I realized I said nice in response to them having an affair. Were either of them actually married to somebody else? Yes, Barbara okay. was married, uh, and this is one of the reasons. Boo. This, what, this well, is what... no, just, I apologize to your spouse. That I was just assuming you meant, like, they they had a fling together. But, this like, is... I, that's mean. That's mean spirited yeah. to their spouses if I'm like, love extramarital affairs, all about it. <laughs> she also had an affair with the guy who played uh, Nick in the Broadway production as well. Okay, not, we have a pattern, girl. A pattern. We should maybe examine that. And these two things are two of the reasons that uh, Elliot Gold ended up uh, getting divorced from Barbara Streisand. <gasps> okay, let's move on to the movie. I'm going to start this conversation by saying something that Molly has kind of already said, but that if Barbara Streisand was not cast in this movie, and if this movie did not hinge on this character, this would not be a movie worth watching. It would not be a movie mm-hmm. worth discussing. Mm-hmm. It would not be in the zeitgeist. There would be no cultural consciousness of this film in any way whatsoever, period, the end of story. That's it. RJ? I, I second. Thank you. Let's bring it to I, the floor. Yeah, I think that I think that maybe because Fanny Bryce is like influential enough to early musical theater history with someone else, maybe it would have turned into like a movie some music theater people know who are like really nerdy and care about Fanny Bryce. But sure. like right. nothing about the movie is compelling except for Streisand's performance in yeah, it. Right. So it would not have it certainly wouldn't be like up for Oscars and it wouldn't be something people remembered. And yeah. yeah. Um, I do think, I don't even know where to begin this conversation other than, um, it's so funny to me that this movie had, this is a musical, legally, contractually a musical. <laughs> legally, it's a musical. Um, we and passed an ordinance on that one earlier. Yeah. If there were 10 songs in this musical, nine and a half of them are sung by Barbara Streisand. Yeah. <laughs> like there is, I think it's just, uh, it's just the like one song that her mom has which is like kind of like just like it's a, like her mom and her it's like the it's, very, it's the first song the, in the, the, show. First, the okay. aunts it was like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh that kind of like little ditty number that they do and then i am woman you are man he omar sharif gets to sing and then a everything it, else yeah. is everything else is barbara streisand yeah <laughs> there's not even like chorus numbers in this movie i mean the there's roller just skating the song. like roller skating song which is more her getting to do comedic like physical performance right. more than like we care about the like song Songs. and then the, the song wedding. going into the the bride song yeah which is all diegetic music right so it's, it's yes. like not even it's kind of in between like is that's it even true a that's musical true. number They're yeah performing right for those um so i do think it's a very interesting musical in that way because i think usually shows like to you know be a little more generous to other characters uh but not this one not this one should we listen to a song? Yeah. 
Which one should I do? Let's let's start easy. Let's start with the song uh, that people were quivering about, quaking in their boots um, in when they simply heard it in the overture. This is people, people who need people. watching the movie last night and you said something to me um i said you have a very hot take about this i I don't know we'll see i said that people is the best song in this movie uh sorry to parades sorry Um, to parades everywhere sorry to the sorry to parades not getting any rain um (laughs) i just think it it, the people just kind of like had its life of its own obviously after I, i think parade obviously did too but parade just uh people just became such a classic Streisand song that I, I, I don't know, like, I just, I think, I just think it's so good. It's such a good standard. I think it's like better. I think it's the best song. Like, yeah. (laughs) Do you think it is the, it's the best song that is in this movie or it is the best use of a song within the movie? Like it's relationship to the plot. I think song obviously like don't rain is, is, is better suited in because it's come out. It's like a discovery for her. It's a turning point for her that she, you know, makes a decision to like, go for love uh, rather than um, like her career. Um, yeah, I just think it's a better, it's the best song. I think that My Man is the best song in for the purposes of the movie. Mm, like okay. when we get to that finale, to me, I was like, and this is where she won the Oscar, right? Yeah, like yeah. like she's, she's charismatic and lovely throughout the film, but that's where it's like, look at what I can do. Culmination. As an yeah. actress, actress. Um, <laughs> I don't care for this song, which is consistent with the fact that RJ and I, we have discovered have opposite taste. Yeah, opposite taste of music. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I think I So I'm going to come in and have a third, (laughs) uh, third point and I'm going to say I'm the greatest star is the best song (laughs) in this week. I thought you were going to make a greatest showman joke for just a half um, a second there. (laughs) (laughs) That the greatest showman is Barbara Streisand. I do agree that this song doesn't really fit as like, like, Plot wise, I can like understand why it's there, but it definitely it's the most like easily like can be commercialized outside of the context of the musical. There there are two things that I'm not sold on it on. One one is in the movie, it feels sonically like it doesn't quite fit. Not that this has like a really tight Mm -hmm. musical aesthetic, but Several of the songs, which is it's I'd Rather Be Blue For You, Secondhand Rose, and My Man are all famous Bryce songs. So mm-hmm. those are all things that are like from Fanny Bryce. And then something like Don't Rain On My Parade feels like it has the same like kind of vibe. Like it's not exactly the same. It's more mm-hmm. maybe 40s. Like you were saying, like it was in a big, big band like yeah. section. But like it still feels early 20th century. And People Who Need People feels 
very 70s to me. Yeah. yeah. And like there are also a few moments in the movie, like the 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 outfit that she wears in the scene where he comes home from doing the oil speculation, where yeah. it's like a silk purple number with like a with like a open robe around it or whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, so now we're in the 70s. Like what happened with her this entire voice? hair situation hair in after Act getting two. married? Was just like a full Bonkers. like six seven. She's, yeah. Kate, she's Kate Gosselin. She literally <laughs> so, becomes Kate, Kate Gosselin halfway yeah. through this film, and it's insane. There's nothing thirties about this haircut, yeah. girl. So to me, people who need people is like the the musical equivalent of the purple silk outfit, where it's like yeah. this doesn't feel like it lives in the same time period that it's supposed to. It feels like it's for now. I will say that Julie Stein has said that when they did when they rescored the music for the film, he was like they popified all of the music to make for it more movie. palatable for the film. Okay. So I don't, and I'm so used to listening to the film version that yeah. I don't know how, di- how obviously people's it. in the, in the original musical too. And I don't know how different it sounds. And on comparison. top of that, I feel like I just hear Streisand's studio version of it, which I don't think yes. is in the movie version. Right? right. So like maybe it's just also in my ear as a pop song. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a Burt Bacharach, like, like a, like that kind of, there's like a swing to it. Like there's a little bit of a the mid-cent mod 60s. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. It could almost be a ballad in promises, promises like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Secondly, I just, it just is like so overwrought and overrun to me. It's kind of like memory at this point where it's mm. like, so it's like, this is a song for when you want to make people feel something that like it, it has become to me like a parody of itself at some point mm. where I can't really engage in it in the way that I'm guessing those audiences who applauded for it in the overture, like as a new piece of music, I bet it was like really illuminating and exciting and fresh and amazing. But mm-hmm. like, I can't hear it as like, I can't hear it as a new piece of music and something that's serving this plot. It just is like all of a sudden, it would be like if suddenly there was some other pop song put into the musical for me, I think. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that this muse- this song is so, I don't know, the music, the music almost from this musical seems like it lives in a different vessel from the rest of the story of funny girl if that makes sense just meaning that like i can separate out i'm able to separate them from the plot so easily and i don't feel like i'm losing anything um and with like people obviously it was like able to be like a single and chart and like do its business and she still sings it and da 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 um but like, I think a lot of the musicals we normally watch, it's hard to just extrapolate a song and be like, and now here's the radio version. Yeah. But it feels like with this musical, you're able to do that a lot more often, if that makes sense. I kind of got that vibe overall with the movie. Like every scene felt like it was like buttoning with the song. Like like, mm. like the action happens in like dialogue and scene. And then we end the scene with a song to kind of encapsulate everything that's happened in that scene. Like the song that was like a summary of like, this scene was about this emotion <laughs> rather than the scene p- like pivoting around the song. Yeah, yeah. Molly, you said something, I was editing the Camelot episode today and you mm. said something in that episode that I think I want to, um, I just want to keep it as like, a morning radio DJ and press this button. It's <laughs> like a sound effect. I, I feel this. Uh, you said that their movies have like a weird pacing because we are now used to like quick cuts and stuff like that. So I would like someone to go through and shave off all the excess, like blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Like, why are we taking pauses? Why are we pausing? Talk over each other. That's the real world. Um, so I agree. I concur. This movie is very long. Act two is very long. 
I yeah. was fully like doing my skincare, nighttime skincare routine, changing into my pajamas in act two. Adam was like, I, are you going yeah. to bed? I was like, no, I just, I got the vibe of what's, I, I understand what's going on. I did not watch this movie on. in one sitting. Like I watched it in an evening, but there were lots of pauses to like yeah. make some food, go to the bath, like yeah. things yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, do, I get it. Yeah. I also want to say before we move on from people who need people, it's an interesting song in that it is very much not, it's not a traditional love song about like, no. this feels awesome. I like you. Also, only one person is singing it. It's yeah. also an unusual, which we've talked about the fact that just Streisand just sings this whole musical. But like, it's weird. And I, and I don't know if that's to tell us about the fact that the love is doomed or like, because it's, it's not like the plot is, oh, she loves Nikki and he doesn't return that. Like, he does, obviously, at least in the fictional story the of fiction Girl, version that we watched, yeah. he returns her affections. He's just sort of bad at yes. taking care of himself and their being family. Being a man. <laughs> being a, he's, he's just too much of a man. Living up to his manly uh, <laughs> needs. But he like, needs to be the breadwinner. Huh. Yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> All right. Uh, but like, I don't think that the failure is like she misunderstands whether he loves her. I don't think that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it's not a traditional love song. And frankly, I'm curious to hear both of your opinions, but especially RJ as a fan of the song. What does it mean that people who need people, people are, the, are luckiest the luckiest people? The because <laughs> surely it is the people who then receive what they need from those people who are lucky, not the ones who have the need, right? Yeah, this song is so, I should let you answer. I'm singing the song in my head right now to see if I can find the answer. Do you need me to Google some lyrics? I think she's trying to express something about like vulnerability and like willingness to be in interpersonal relationships with to people. To be a person to like, I think it was more like admit it. It feels more admitting that they need a connection like that because the leading into the song was like, she's too busy to find relationship. He's so, you know, like uh, loosey goosey and like has thousands of girls, whatever. And like, it, and they both kind of come to the realization, like it gets lonely, like um, where we are, like in our kind of versions of our own success right now. And like, I think it's more commenting that like, yeah, the, the admitting that I do need another person to like complete me. So then is it also presenting is her as like the, almost the stronger of the two that he's not willing to be tied down to anything but she is okay with admitting like well i i need to be loved and like that 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 makes her actually strong for being willing to say that but again it's not people who are are willing to admit that they need people it's just people who need people and that's always kind of tripped me up so i kind of think that this musical would be better if because all so much of it is just Fanny's perspective and that's fine. And I think that's really interesting actually, but I wish that we didn't get any, if we were going to go that route, I wish they like committed to it. And like, we never got anything else. Like we didn't, we didn't go with him in the scene where he like is in the like poker room on his own own, or like at the horse track meeting that guy. Like, I just wish it was like all just Fanny's point of view. And so like everything that happens, it's just how she reacts to, the information that she's getting as opposed to, does that make sense? Yeah. And you could also make her a little bit more of an unreliable narrator if we did it that way, because yeah, then, yeah. then there could be moments where she realizes like, Oh, my idea of this was distorted. Cause I like, didn't right. quite see it from everybody else's perspective. And I always like that when there are moments like that in the story. Yeah. Um, 
this, the the amount of red flags in this movie. Every scene make appeared <laughs> had a red flag. The the first, the first moment, time, the first, the first time, time they meet, and when he she asks what he does, and he says, "I gamble." Well, she was, girl. He gambled with her job. Yeah, with yeah. the like raising her rate, and now, she was mad at it, and then was like, "Oh, well, how charming." That's kind of cute too. It's yeah, kind of- it's it. I guess going back to the history, I guess in a way they do kind of present it accurately, and that like it, he's not really trying to pull the wool over her eyes in any way about like his whole deal. Right. He's like. Yeah. I am a gambler. I'm not interested in being tied out, tied down. And by that, I mean knowing the second location I will be. I know the next place I'm going to go, but any place after that, that's too much commitment for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not interested. Right. Um. So like. And I'm only able to do this because I'm living as a man in, in the world. <laughs> Just yeah, to be for clear. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so like, while they didn't include the part where he had already been in prison or, right. no, no, he had not been. They met, he goes to prison, but she, she like remains in a relationship with him during that time. He right. gets out of prison mm-hmm. before they even get married. Sing, so sing. like the, oh, you were, you were, had been to jail before I even married you part isn't there. But the like, she knows what she's getting into is, although they also sort of imply that she's naive, she like sees yeah. it, but she doesn't see it. Right. Right. Yeah. They're playing with this whole idea that like only she's it's like only pretty girls get to experience like oh. being uh, yeah, like timed over yeah. by like an attractive, suave, debonair man like this. So like they're playing with this, like she's trying to process that like, oh, it's me for the very first time. And I can't help but like be swayed by it, even though even though my, you know, people in my family, my mom has like a, a very like, you know, feeling about like this might not be a good idea. Yeah, there are two themes for Fanny. One is she falls in love with a man who she shouldn't fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And the other is she's not pretty. Yeah. And I feel that the movie very much implies that those two things are connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That she like doesn't think she deserves to it it doesn't go quite go this far, but I feel like that is under the surface that maybe she doesn't think that she deserves to be with somebody who would not just love her back but also treat her well and like be a stable person. Yeah, cuz I cuz she's think, not a folly. Yeah. Cuz I do think the idea of her not being pretty enough when taken into her own terms like with even though not true, like even like her being like people will will laugh at me if I say I'm the prettiest girl in the world, so I have to make a joke about it so that way people laugh with me and people. that's how I feel people who need people who laugh at people, people who the need to people. laugh at you um, <laughs> yeah and so I was at that point I was like okay this feels very like taking a stance know who I am like I am standing up for like my what I'm good at I know that she's also doing it because she doesn't want to be laughed at like you know like she wants she doesn't want to be the joke the she doesn't want to be laughed at she wants to like uh, I don't know like be the reason why everyone's laughing yeah, she's in charge yeah. of why the she's joke in is charge happening. of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and look I think I think from the best I could do in terms of research, I think that there is a truth to that in Fanny Bryce's life. And mm-hmm, I think sure. that there is there is something interesting to be said about that. And I think that if somebody wrote a musical about Fanny Bryce today, there could be a more sophisticated and interesting exploration about like what it means to feel like you're the least attractive woman on the stage, right? And yeah. so I don't want to say like, get rid of the whole thing, like it's all garbage. But it feels like the movie doesn't really have that much to it's about that but doesn't have that much to say about say it about it's kind it, of yeah. the like dear evan hansen problem yes. of like mm-hmm. it's about suicide but like does not know what it wants to say about it yeah and yeah i just wish that there was something more nuanced where again if perhaps more of the musical were actually about franny and her career yes mm-hmm. 
instead of then that could be like a clear because I when I tell you that I could watch this movie is like nearly three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. When I tell you that I could watch a six hour film of just Barbara doing one liners and like those dumb, like little just witticisms and those little like comebacks, like even when she uh, leaves Zegfeld's uh, after Nick has been arrested and they're like, oh, the press will be out there. And she just gets to like, she has that little press pool and they ask her those cute little, those little questions. And she does her like, who? Uh, it's the only way to le- come home at night. Or right, whatever, yeah. blah, blah, blah. How do you feel about going to prison? At least I know where I'll be. Ha ha ha. Like yeah. all of those like are so good. If I got like literally three more hours of that, I would be fully, I would have no problem. I, when I, I made a joke earlier that I said that, uh, the song um, uh, I'm the greatest star is the best song in the show. And I don't obviously think that's true, but I do think it's like, it's, it's so hard to do what she is doing in this role. I, I just feel like it's so in crazy that you, they were able to find someone to play this part who can nail every piece of specific, very specific Jewish style comedy in mm-hmm. which is, so niche, you have to nail it, but also sound like Barbara, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> it makes no sense. This woman was made in a factory. Like I, I mean, know, it's crazy. So you're you're right. I mean, it's remarkable that Barbara Streisand has the voice she has, the acting ability she has, and can do the comedic timing yeah. required for this role. But I do think we need to acknowledge your bias here as somebody who grew up watching Hello Dolly. And if you recall, Hello Dolly was the first episode of Showcase that I was on. I was a guest yes, at the time. And you tried to recount the entire thing beat for beat because you find every joke she makes in that movie so funny. And am and I it's wrong? it's not that she's no. not funny. It's just that I think that, you know, I think maybe our emotions need to be at like a seven and you're set at nine right now. Like, <laughs> I need to pull back a little bit. I just think, I think it's very telling that it's hard. I think just in general, this is a very hard show to do. I said this earlier, but it's, it's a very hard show because it's a very hard role. It's very demanding. She sings the whole show she is like the form of comedy she is the comedic relief of the show but also has to be the romantically like it asks a lot of its star and she very much rises to the challenge you would have no idea that this is this woman's first film role and then she literally wins an oscar for like it's there's a lot of factors. The stars were aligned in a specific way. And I think she's- So you could show that. a little bit more empathy to Barbara Streisand, Molly. Okay. Molly, okay. <laughs> she's gone through, she, hasn't she suffered enough? <laughs> hasn't she suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I say that, I also want to reiterate that a lot of other things, because she is, it's purposefully her vehicle. She is the one who is shining Driving. so bright. <laughs> Everyone else is laid by the wayside. And like, we'll talk about this when I get to the uh, the Chicago Sun-Times Roger Ebert uh, <laughs> criticism that I have to read later. But there, this movie falls apart when she is not on the screen. And especially, mm-hmm. and even when she's like not doing Fanny, like when, when it gets more serious, it just starts to like break down a little bit yeah. around her. Um, Should yeah. we keep on the relationship train to talk about the heterosexual instruction manual song or I think that's a great idea Molly. step one <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of I am woman nope I am woman hear me roar I am woman, woman. <laughs> 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 
in me. Oh. Let's listen to a little bit of You Are Woman. I am man. You. Huh? Are woman. I am man. You are smaller. So I can be taller than you are softer to the touch. It's a feeling I like feeling very much. So this song is ridiculous. It's bonkers. It's, it's bonkers. absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it's um it's silly, but I do want to reserve a room like this to seduce my next lover because the setting I think this... the room is the best part of this production design pop off. I and remember when I said like I, I didn't know how much I remembered from it, but like I knew before I pressed play on Amazon Prime to watch this last <laughs> night exactly yeah. what that room looked like because like yeah, yeah. it is banana the red it's just everything is red. It's like red curtains, red, red, red walls. wallpaper, yep. red duvet. Or not right. duvet, what's that called? Chaise Lounge. Chaise Lounge, Chaise, yeah. Like Unbelievable. And how how did they make a room that's all it's like all the same tone of red, but it's also you like can see each piece distinctively like that. Yeah. That feels like it's the opposite of what cameras are supposed to do. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I'm like not I'm not talking about the song itself because the song I don't know. It's, the content of the song is just nothing. There's nothing in the song, but the setting of the song is extremely suggestive mm-hmm. and this is where I think it's, it's very a horny funny. song. It's a very it's a, horny. It's song. a very horny song song and i think it's funny where we deviate from the history here of like she very much was not like some innocent inexperienced woman when she met him but right. this she was already is, married yeah this plot is like he even says something about like when we first met a year ago you like weren't ready for this and now like i think it's time you learned or something and it's it's like very stereotypical of like the man is worldly and he understands these mm-hmm. ways it's, the it's baby it's cold succumb. outside it's literally baby it's yeah. cold outside <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, speaking of a year later, I just feel like this movie is very confused about how to explain that time has passed. Yeah. I think you end up getting it each time, but it's not as quick as I feel like it should be. It's not yeah. as clear yeah. once like the time jump has happened. Yeah, because there's always like a wow, how's it how long has it been? Six months? Like there's always yeah. that like, where did that come from? I almost was like, should they have title cards? Yeah. I don't know. New Jersey. Well, it is mem- I- it is her Baltimore. thinking, so I don't know. Yeah. I also... Nicky Ornstein, Nicky Ornstein. Oh, I hated that. I hated, I hated the like, freeze frame to hear her sing quietly Because it was clearly it. like freeze frame in the editing room, like freeze frame, yeah. enter sound here. They like hadn't thought of how they were going to put that sound clip in, so they just had to literally pause the movie. Pause put it, in. it was so movie. dumb. But okay, wait, back to, back to this section, though. What I don't like about it as well is that previously she's presented as being like more worldly than you expect a woman to be in 1910 or whatever right like she makes jokes that everyone else is like franny and like that's kind of part of her franny franny who the fuck is franny what's her name Fanny. Fanny. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but especially my one of my favorite parts is in the people who need people scene when she's saying goodbye to him, she says something about like, oh, a starring role in an indecent proposal. Like, what a night for me. And then she goes, it was indecent, wasn't it? And the, like, they have this like cute little rapport yeah. about it. And I really liked that part of her character that she like knew what was up, you know? And yeah. it's like, yes. and then this one scene, they're like, well, if it's going to be sexy, then like the woman has to be innocent. It's like the role that they're Yeah, it like reverts back of like, 
yes, a, a woman can be funny, but this will all women are like all women can fall prey into like a sexy right, yeah, we, man. We fall into that like, yeah, she has to be like, yeah. right. And I wonder, although I wonder if some of this is also like the sexual mores of the time and her daughter being very involved in the production of it, that she didn't want to like imply that her mother was a fallen woman Elicit, in yeah, some yeah, way yeah, yeah. or whatever, because it would have been very taboo at the time. I will say more, more Shay's uh, lounge chairs on private dining rooms. I think that's a very good idea. Can you and still do this? More, Can you reserve me, a room? More like private that? dining rooms, period. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and to be able to, you know, control the lights, have to have an active dimmer in a room because they they were in like, 19, okay, uh, <laughs> time uh, to start kissing, uh, time to dimmer down the right, this, I mean, this room is like constructed to seduce yes, women. Right? It's, it's literally, like, right. it's like all in red. There's like a, a couch for sex. There's yeah, a dimmer yeah. for, like, it's so weird that this would yeah. exist, but I love the idea that it does. More of this, please. Oh, they didn't tell you. It's a brothel. They're in a brothel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, the, the title of the place would have just, all the audiences in the 60s would be like, oh, yeah. yes, the famous, famous Baltimore brothel. Baltimore brothel, <laughs> comma, 1924 or whatever. <laughs> One year later. Um, I think this this song reminds me of a song in a movie called Gigi, which I'm also sure we'll get to at some point. Yeah. Um, And it is a, there. it's like a song. I don't even remember what it's called. It's something like... um uh little girl not little girls <laughs> that's <laughs> no i'm thinking if, this, if you're saying it's a seduction song it's called little girls it seems like we're going on a bad path thank heaven for thank little heaven girls. for little girls and it's this old man it's literally what you exactly think it's okay it's about it's not great uh did yeah. it win best picture i believe so anyway um it just reminded me of that it also reminds me of the my fair lady song um why well, can't how how why can't a woman why can't behave like a man? Men are so decent. So I'm the big man. I feel like those songs any, are extremely different. Yeah. Well, just any song that's like, here are the gender roles. Here uh, are the gender yeah. roles. They are this and we don't change. Woo! Cackity cackity cow. Cackity 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 cow cow. Vogue. <laughs> um I don't know. I don't really have a lot to say about the song. I don't think Omar Shreve sounds great. But he looks great. So he does look great. He's a very uh, handsome man. Very handsome. Um, let's move on to speaking of uh, we wouldn't want to think that um, she is uh, loose. She's a loose woman. There is a joke uh, played in this film with a whole musical number about a woman. The joke is a bride who's pregnant. Can you imagine? Can you believe? Could you even imagine? Can you believe? It's called His Love Makes Me Beautiful. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, so here is His Love Makes Me Beautiful. I am the beautiful reflection of my love's affection. A walking illustration of his adoration. His love makes you beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. So um, beautiful. I like when uh and here comes the singing bride, all beautiful and white. The singing bride with her beautiful voice right. by, <laughs> by her singing bride and the voice of her bride. 
I'm just imagining you two doing a drag show now as the Follies. As the different just, Follies. Just like, just standing still. If there's anything, <laughs> I don't think this movie is camp. I would say this is pretty not camp. Yeah. This film. It seems pretty straight. Even if it, as funny as it is, it seems like it's just like straightforward funny. There's not like a weird subversion or anything. Yeah. The only thing I would say that is camp about this is this bonkers <laughs> intro sequence into the bride number. Yeah. When there are like women, <laughs> there are brides, <laughs> quote unquote, from every season who ex- <laughs> I can't. Who explain what, what kind of bride gets married in that season. Yeah. You're you're gonna spoil my closer, so you gotta stop talking about oh, this. No. <laughs> More to come on that. More to come on More that. More to come, listeners. More to come. Stay tuned, listeners. Um, <laughs> I think this is uh, shockingly. You're gonna you're gonna be shocked to hear this. I think this song is very funny, um, and I think Barbara's very funny. To um, I need to take your emotions at a. At a- <laughs> I need to go to five. <laughs> um, no, I just like the song because it's like a very big climb like it's it's the it's the roller skating sequence but like heightened yes and yeah more stakes yeah and it's, it's objectively funny and yeah. this is like the last time we get this until the swan number yeah so yeah. then we go for like 45 minutes to an hour of <laughs> we forgot no more fun fascinating and fun career <laughs> to, fun so that we can stops. have this mediocre love story um i i totally agree here's my question should she be fired because she pulls the stunt without wow. consulting Ziegfeld. Right. So obviously, I don't I don't know if you saw this, but uh, comedy was always part of Ziegfeld's Follies. That's why they're called Follies. It's not called Ziegfeld's Beauties. Um, there were always comedy bits. Um, so the idea that this musical purports, to some degree, I don't know if it necessarily says it outright via text, but it definitely is like, Ziegfeld is only interested in beautiful girls. So the idea yeah. of a funny one is crazy. This is not, he had funny, this is not true. I mean, it's semi-true. Um, but I think, hmm, should she be fired? Well, it is weird to be like, I think it's more of the duality of like, in the number where she sings by herself, she's okay to be funny there. But at the last number, she's the voice. So she has to just sell that number as as the voice. And so but, that's- Yeah, but that is where I would make the argument that maybe she should be fired because she is now subverting a song that is not supposed to be about her. She's made this number that's yes. not about her. About she made her. the finale about her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say she made it better. <laughs> so maybe that's why she gets it. That's why she gets we the pass doing, in the movie at least. What if we were doing Into the Woods and then you were like, I have a really great bit for children will listen. So I think we should do, so I'm just going to try mm-hmm. it instead. No one is alone, I'm gonna but I'm going to do a comedy routine. With I'm going to do a comedy routine in the middle of No One Is Alone. Like, uh, obviously, Folly, Jigfeld's Follies were less tightly structured than a Sondheim yes, musical, right. but like, but like. You don't it, say. <laughs> but there, there is like an intentional emotional endpoint to the show. So she, I feel, has put her fellow castmates in a bad position of stealing all the focus and of doing something without their like previous knowledge to be ready for how this is going to go down on stage. And she's like subverted the intention of the ending of the show. So like I said, like it's not tightly plotted. So it, obviously there's more like room for flexibility within these shows that happened at the turn of the 20th century. But like, I don't, it's not like, it's just not that like Ziegfeld's just like being a jerk by threatening yeah. to fire her. It you is know? it is wild though that like in the roller skating situation, everyone was like mad at her basically for right. doing that. And then in the follies, 
everyone was like laughing in on the joke. They loved it. They were like, oh my God, girl, that was so funny. What a great idea. Sorry, yeah. Adam has, <laughs> Adam has, uh... Oh my God. Are you okay? Did you get sunburned today? Yes, yeah. we both right. oh. That is the only spot. So the spot that he hit is the one spot. I guess. Um, yeah, that everyone is Wait, like- we should say for the listeners, RJ was tapping Adam on the shoulder. And yeah, I, just, I, he just, beat just, just mid-sentence. And it felt like a cloud. And it felt like a kiss. Oh. No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, and so that that was kind of crazy about it. And I feel like that's obviously like, creating the situation so that way it makes sense for him not to fire her but it is yeah. wild to be like i would at least put her on probation for another week until zigfeld could be like okay let me write up let's just make your number bigger so that way people know because people now will come to see you but maybe not make the full finale i'd like i do like there's there's a couple things that i like I like the pointing out that uh, that Arnstein has where he tells her that she also takes gambles and risks like he does. Mm. And that's kind of like I like I like that yeah, addition. Yeah. Um, and I also like um, this has nothing to do with the number we're talking about, but I like that she does the entire uh, roller skating number. She can't mm-hmm. roller skate. She's a mess. She's falling over. She's pulling the other girls down. It's a riot. It's great. Great, great physical comedy. She goes right into her solo number right after and immediately knows how to roller skate. It's so yeah, funny. It's funny. Like, yes. and I, it's not really commented on. And I kind of wish the movie like winked at it a little more yeah. that like all of a sudden she knows how to roller skate. Cause that's like part of what's funny about it yeah. is that she's, she clearly did it as a bit like to make, she's, to make the yeah. moment. Um, take your moment. Take your moment, Ganja. It's your moment. <laughs> take your moment, Fanny. <laughs> um, but I will say too, this does this, did this remind you anything like um um I think it's no no no. What was the Aaron Sorkin being the Ricardos? Did you see being the Ricardos? I did not. Okay. So Nicole Kidman is uh Lucille Ball in it. Um Lucy and Ball. She has to she she will get these moments where you go into like her mind's eye and she's seeing the episode. She's sketching up. She's sketching out the sketch in her in her mind. So this is the only couple times where you get like. Nicole doing Lucy as Lucille or Lucy Ricardo. Um, And I it it reminded me that I think it's very hard for anything to show people coming up with comedy, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, like the comedy when it's done and presented and it's in its full form is like typically great but like the idea of like this is why you don't have a lot of movies about screenwriters because it's not necessarily very interesting um but i and like comedy is like bad up until the moments it's good as well right so like seeing right, somebody come up with iterations of it is it's not fun to see the joke until it's perfectly yeah right together yeah workshop yeah um that's why i like i i yeah, I, I don't even know bit, if I necessarily have a point. I just thought there just was thought a little it. bit of it, like when she came back to the dressing room trying to take out the skates and the girls were kind of acting like, oh, yeah, sure. Because she was like, oh, I had no idea what came over or whatever. And they were kind of like, uh, uh-huh, sure. Yeah. And oh, like, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. But again, maybe if her daughter hadn't been the one behind this musical, if we could have like delved into a, that as a flaw of, of Fanny's right. that like she genuinely was talented enough to pull this stuff. But yeah. like. It was still selfish of her to pull it. I think would have been a more interesting thing to, again, lean into her career. I mean, let me say this. The fact that she had this crook husband is interesting and it would be weird to not talk about it. So I just wish that was like the B plot, right? I wish that like that was the occasional thing that we visited sometimes, but that the movie was about her career 
Okay, so when she does, when she first auditions for Ziegfeld and she sings Secondhand Rose, which like I said, was like another Bryce song, mm-hmm. that audition was like not remarkable in any way, right? And we like know she's going to be good enough, so mm-hmm. we know yeah. she's going to get it. But like that song didn't, to me, show off any of Barbara Streisand's like greatest singing talents or anything. Mm-hmm. So the really bizarre thing to me is that she immediately starts challenging him like seconds after she's hired onto the show. Yeah. And we don't, have anything that we've seen her do nor do we see a reaction from Ziegfeld that's like whoa I gotta get this woman in the show so like I'll put up with some BS and she's just trying to figure out how much BS like it doesn't seem like she's all that like if I was Ziegfeld the first time she was like actually I'm not gonna do this I'd be like cool then you're not in my show like end of story (laughs) why why would you put up with anything from her right yeah yeah I do like that I do like that she is shown as like uh this is gonna sound so dumb. I do like that in the movie Funny Girl, the main character is shown as a a woman who's funny, mm, and by that a, I mean- a humorous female, a um, <laughs> a laughable. <laughs> what's what's an easy way to what, say what it? I... <laughs> ha ha. A felicitous femme, like. <laughs> First of all, that a yeah. sleigh. That's a sleigh. Um, but I do like that it's like about her. It's the movie is not about her doing this, but like I like that in the aspects we get of her career, it's clearly shown that like she is she is the one who is like genuinely talented. It's like all coming from her, and she can see how far she can go because yeah, blah blah blah. blah. I think that's like fun. I think it's also interesting that this movie like parallels the same like plot structure as um uh a star is born. In that she's like a woman who's like getting into a career and her career's on the rise, whereas like she's at the meeting, cost she's of meeting the man and the man is on the decline. Yeah, at the cost of a relationship. Um, yeah. and then she goes on to do A Star Is Born in like the seventies with Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I yeah, I watched the JD Star Is Born a really long time ago, so I don't really remember the plot of it. I'm sure that we will watch some version of it at some maybe next Probably. April will be all the Star Is Borns. Uh, <laughs> stars were born. April, stars. April September stars are born. <laughs> um I I do think that it's though a common plot because to me there's a whole like she was so successful in her career, but that like made her personal life not good. That's yeah. like there is like a natural tension and duality that like I understand why that's interesting, but and it is also conflict. sort of but it's also sort of like if you have a career, then like you're like don't don't do that, ladies, because then men mm-hmm. might love you less. Like that's there's also I feel like that part of it of um it's like a warning to be like, Yes, she's famous and everyone loves her, but her personal life's a mess and like you don't want that, do you ladies? So I yeah. don't like that part of it. Just just because of how calm it's like it's one of those stories that's like the story is fine, but the the fact that it's so often repeated mm-hmm. makes it feel like there's a point to the fact that you keep telling that story over others. Yeah. yeah. Um well, yes. while we're talking about brides, can we talk about sure. the other the other chorus girl and who I think she should have been? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Georgia. Georgia. So she's George. Georgia in the movie. So um, there was an article that I read just like a couple paragraphs of because it was just a couple paragraphs talked about family, Fanny Bryce. But it mentioned her in contrast to, it says something about like, well, she wasn't the first Jewish girl who was cast in the Follies. She was the first one to like really embrace her ethnicity as opposed to Anna Held. And I was like, that's interesting because Anna Held, what's her deal? So 
Anna Held was born to a Jewish family in Warsaw, and then her family later fled to Paris when they were facing persecution for being Jewish. And then Held later converted to Catholicism. It didn't say in the article if like her whole family did or she she did, but she converted. But then she became a performer, and Ziegfeld saw her perform in London, and he brought her to the U.S. to be a star in his show. But also, she became his common wife, common law wife, common law wife. I cannot talk. So she was like his paramour, as well as being this like big Broadway leading lady from eighteen. 96 to 1910 and she also was like so beautiful and everyone loved her that there were these like very outlandish rumors about her i I don't know and maybe some of them were true but one was like she bathed daily in 40 gallons of milk to maintain her complexion so she was this whole like diva character and i feel like a story about like these two and their relationship of like fanny like leaning further into her jewishness and like getting success by leaning into something like a Yiddish accent that she doesn't even have versus a woman who's like totally left behind her Jewish identity and is like the star of the show would be fascinating, right? Like, mm. wouldn't that be a really cool relationship to like-, like passing. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the center of the movie and then Nick could be like a C-plot and that would be fine. Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, I will say like this movie does a great job. I mean, obviously of like kind of highlighting that something Jewish... never said before this movie does a great job <laughs> of like highlighting that like yiddish jewish like sense of humor and sentimentality and i think like one of my favorite one of my favorite performances other than barbara because if, if, if we had to give it to another person i would say it's probably her mom also nominated um, also nominated she's nominated for best supporting actress but she does a really great job also from of, the original production she just does a really great job of that kind of like uh, like there's something she's always wary about, obviously the successes. It's like, she's sure of how confident she is about her daughter being successful, but like, there's always like a sense of worry still, even though she's like fully like, oh yeah, like you're obviously you're going to be, even in the beginning when she's like, all the other women are talking about how she's not like the pretty girl, but she can still be successful. Um, and then even to her, like her role later on is more kind of like, you need to take care of your husband kind of, uh like advice i actually loved that dynamic yeah the scene that they have where they talk about what she what she like owes to her husband where her mom is like i didn't tell you whether or not to marry it like i don't interfere in your life you're an adult but like he's your husband and you need to like talk to him about the impact of the choices he's making rather than enabling him i thought was like actually a really respectful adult conversation can i say that when i realized today in my research for the movie that this was written by a woman. I was like, that's why that scene makes sense. Mm -hmm. I just don't think in 1960, whatever, a man could have written that scene and it feel the same way. You know what I mean? And it doesn't feel like it's at all about gender. There's nothing that's like, you're the woman, so you owe your man this. She's like, no, like you two are a partner. I mean, she doesn't say it in these words, but like what she's conveying is like, you're a partnership and part of being a partnership, it's not just like making the other person happy, but also like, being honest with them and like helping them to figure out what to do when they're in a bad spot. Cause she says right. like, you need to sit down with him and like look at the debts he's got and like figure out what you're going to do and like make a plan together and be honest. And it's like so progressive the way that she tells her to handle it versus what she's tried to do previously was to like do this whole scheme of uh, getting him a, a, a share of a business, like running a, a gambling like establishment. A casino, oh, yeah. a casino basically. A, a gambling club. Yeah. Room, yeah. yeah. 
And he figures out really quickly that, like, she's put up the money for his share and that she was going to sort of, like, try to hide that reality from him. And I feel like if she had just said, is there a way for us to do this? And, like, can I give you the money? Like, maybe he would have said no. Because we see a lot of him being, like, very resentful of the idea that she's the one supporting him, which which is very gendered. But, like... I don't know. Maybe maybe there would have been a way for him to say, like, if you put up the money and then I'll pay you back. Like, like I feel like mm-hmm. if right. these two kids. It is her fault that, now, that, it, that it goes south. That it, I agree with what you're saying. That's what you're saying. So. <laughs> I'm saying it's always a woman's fault. Anytime a relationship falls apart. I'm saying that when it fails, it's a reflection on you as a human being. Um, <laughs> and your and your personal. Yeah, yeah. Your personal ability to be a woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think like it's it's sad to me that. Well, he is just Red Flag City. I -hmm. also think that somehow if these two characters existed in 2022, Mm -hmm. like, I don't think that their relationship is necessarily unfixable. Like, I could see a version of this where they do they do get really honest with each other Mm -hmm. and Nick could improve and like they could have some version of of happiness of staying together. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're doomed no matter what. I, I, I think. Yeah, I think that they. I mean, it definitely feels like the movie. It felt to me similar to Carousel in that it doesn't. It doesn't seem like the movie is like they are the great romance. They are the great love. Like this isn't that kind of movie. There is one shot where I was like, "This is a romance film," and it was when they're on the pier and the sun's in the background. Do you remember the shot? I literally screamed. It's after the lobster lunch. It's, yeah. it's after the four lobster lunch um, where she eats four lobsters. It's, um, it's two. She eats two and she almost eats three and then she doesn't yeah. eat the third. But it's still, that's so much rich food. I was like, I feel like I'm going to vomit just the concept of eating that much lobster is like a lot. Um, but uh, I do think that this move, I mean, like I... This is why I kind of just all want it from her perspective because we already get so much of it just from her perspective that I like the idea that you just like lean fully in. Can we talk about the last two songs I want to talk about, which are Don't Rain On My Parade and My Man? But first we'll start yeah, I with- think Parade is the next. I feel like we're kind of there in the plot. Yeah. So it's crazy because it's such a great song. Like it's iconic for a reason. Um, it has one of my favorite helicopter shots probably after sound of music ever in a, in and, a then movie musical. and then annie and then annie, yeah, yeah. Well, annie, ni- annie, annie 2000... then, then whatever else then this yeah, yeah. jamie yeah. fox annie and then <laughs> <laughs> so that's a shot of a, in a helicopter we're talking oh. about a shot taken from a helicopter oh okay different, sorry sorry i'm confusing yeah. yeah yeah um but i like that the i song's great whatever she slays this she slays parade in hello dolly she really has an affinity for a parade song good for her uh, i wanted to make that joke how dare you <laughs> um but uh <laughs> um she the the bummer of the song is that she's like the whole song is like a triumphant like i'm choosing my man <laughs> and it's like <laughs> you can easily take it out of context other than the fact that she says Hey, Mr. Arnstein, here I am. But like, if you just don't think about what that's referring to, the song's a great song about being like, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and I'm not going to let others dictate my life. Great. We love They don't need to know that it's choosing a man over a career. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have it all, ladies. It's it's the most triumphant song about the worst decision she's ever made in her life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There was a moment where Adam and I were like, wait, she's she grabbed this like water taxi to chase after this cruise ship. I don't think that's. I don't think yeah, that's I how it works confused. anymore. And also and the fact that they don't show the skyline because obviously it'll be like the 60s. Yeah. So they're just yeah. tight shot it's, on the boat. 
it's both a long-term and short-term bad decision because both she shouldn't marry this guy he's clearly he's he does not have his life together he cannot support a relationship with another person but also short term, she has like a week left of tour. And then she's yeah. like, no, actually, I want to go be with him immediately. So I'm leaving the show. There's just like not even a need that she has to leave this show. She no. like puts no. everyone else in a bad position. because She's like, I need to be with the love of my life right now for no reason. Entirely arbitrary. Yeah, time yeah. Just to like hang out with him as he gambles on this boat. The entire yeah. time I was like, Emma, your personal assistant is like, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> do I? Poor Emma. Uh, poor Emma. Emma's not, I think it's her maid is what she is. And it's, it's not good. Yeah. So I guess while she went on this cruise, she, because she ends up being her au pair or whatever, when she has yeah. a family. Um, I, the song's great. The orange with the like fur hat. Great. Um, what a clear shot of her in the train. Though. Singing like, on a train. Inc- incredibly great. clear. Singing on a boat. Great. Singing, singing, running. Run, Barbara, run. <laughs> run, Barbara, run. <laughs> I march my band down. I'll feed my strong. And if I'm fanned out, your turn at back, sir. At least I didn't fake it, hats, sir. Guess I didn't make it. Get ready for me, love, cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march my heart to drum. I know, nobody, no, nobody. I mean, it's a great, it's objectively great music. I feel that this number has now been ruined by becoming the try-hard music theater girl song, though. Like, yeah. I can't yes. hear it and not hear the, like, An litany of on. women trying to prove their belting abilities by singing yes. this song. Well, and that's the hardest part is, like, anytime Barbara does any song, she does it, she has such a specific way that she sings that if you try... It's like anyone singing Summer of the Rainbow. It's like, you're going to hear Judy first. And then you're going to have to be like, okay, this isn't Judy. This, Let me I my, have to sing it in you know a way I mean? that it won't. Yeah, but yeah, this, yeah. yeah, but this has like the additional problem of like the pure power of the song that people sing right. it to prove that they've got that they have, power. So yes. it's like, I think that it's become to me divorced from its meaning. Not that as we've established, the meaning is not good. But like <laughs> it, it's, it stops being dramaturgically relevant because it's like, and this is the song that you sing to prove that you can sing. Right. It's like yes. kind of how it's a my, more like tech, yeah. it's more of a showcase song to be like, and I have this belt. And it and it shouldn't. This, this is what annoys me is it shouldn't be. It it is a powerful emotional song as well, and it could be a really effective song in here, but it's been too repeated outside of the the right. musical itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's partially just the Rachel Berry problem. I mean, we referenced it being on Glee that like Leah Michelle is like too many people the embodiment of like the most yeah. annoying musical theater kid because she plays that character on the show that's like what yeah. her character is meant yeah. to be and i think we've all struggled to like fully separate her from that portrayal it sounds like she's also not a great person i'm not trying to take a side on william michelle and how we should feel about her but like we uh, here at showgaze would like to issue a statement in regarding <laughs> we we have forgiven leah michelle for all of her racism and we feel that we're the ones to do it um no, of course not uh the point is that like 
it's it's hard for me to hear the song now with in the same way that's hard for me to hear people as like just part of this musical Right. But that's because it's too poppy. This one is too like showcasey. Yeah. For yeah. me to hear it as within the plot. Yeah. Um, it was weird watching this song not on screens at uh, my gay bar in Chicago where I go to musical Mondays. Because that's Your where I'm gay bar? You my own gay that bar. now? I own. I am yeah. I own 51% of this company. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, all right. And we come to the torch song. The torch song. The torch song. Uh, this is my man. First, I'm going to play Fanny's version. This is the 1920. What year is it? 1921. It's 1921. It's the one this is the 1921 yeah. version. Um, and then I will play the uh, Barbara film version. Oh, my God, I love you so. never. All my life is just despair, but I don't care when he takes me in his arms. The world is right, all right. And what's the difference if I say? I'll go away when I know I'll come back on my knees someday for whatever my man is I am here emotional at this song which is weird because i get emotional at a lot of things and this song um i can't tell if maybe it was just because on this watch i was just like tired and i had like i i think i had started like looking at the wikipedia page so maybe i was like checked out but that's that's probably it but um i've never watched this movie and like cried at the song so it's not just like this one viewing it's just uh i think just maybe because it's so clear for me i will say this i feel that they have I feel like her and Omar Sharif have chemistry I do not feel that they are in love with each other Mm. I don't feel like this huge 
over like dramatic. Like done with the wind. Yes. Like, like, uh, yes. like yeah. Like I will make bad decisions because of how much I love you. Yeah. yeah. I think like it just always feels like she's like, he's so hot. <laughs> I should do this because I'm horny so and he's hot. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot to read this quote from Fanny Bryce that she, what was it? It was something like she fell in love with him when she saw his seven pairs of pajamas with monograms on them or something. So I love the idea that like the real Fanny Bryce was like equally just like taken in by his just pure panache. That was all. Yeah. A dandy. A dandy. I like when she notices that he has nail polish on when she like first meets him too. Yeah. Which is Um, something that comes back in Maine, actually. Anyway. I want to say about. So the the Bryce, what's interesting is I said earlier about how I read some source that was saying like the 1921 version is like more upbeat, but I feel like this is not, this does not read as upbeat to me at all when you listen to the Bryce version. Like the sorrow feels like it's there from from the outset. And I think that that may be because she had a complicated relationship with him throughout the time she formed the song, but also that like she's just a great actress and like it might not be, in her mind, it might not be about her real husband at all, right? Um, I think that we over... As a culture, we try to like over ascribe real personal feelings to things when actually, if it's not relevant to your personal life, that means you're a better actor. So you should want that. Yeah. Um, sometimes a job is a job. Sometimes it's just a job. And you should treat your coworkers with respect, Richard Harris. Um, <laughs> uh, but what I think is interesting is how you can you can hear the theatrical emotion and i'm not i'm not saying this at all to like diminish bryce's version like i think bryce is doing it as the song is meant to be is written to be done where you're like you're hearing the emotions through the music and then i think what's what's beautiful about the inclusion in the movie to me is how it becomes an acting song Mm -hmm. when streisand does it where, where you start with like the voice breaking and the the like not quite being able to articulate things um and then she eventually gets into the music of it because she like she knows we don't want to watch her just cry the whole time. We want right. to hear hear the, the vocal power in it, right? Um, and I think that that is like a really good use of an existing song and then making it into something that caps this whole plot rather than mm-hmm. just like existing as an emotional piece within itself. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is especially the I'd Rather Be Blue Over You, which is the song she sings on the roller skates. Mm-hmm. is kind of about like the same thing if you think about it it's about like i want to be with this man even though he makes me sad and well so is both... so is the other one so so's uh secondhand rose or secondhand rose is about how yeah, she's I like mean, secondhand rose is, it's more it's, of like a self-deprecating song and it's less about the the man is like one joke in it versus like the whole the whole yeah, song yeah that's true but what I love about it is that they're both actually songs that Bryce sang, but we see them used so differently in the mm-hmm. in the movie. So so I'd rather be blue over you is she's just becoming a star and, and the song exists only for her to perform it. There's mm-hmm. no connection to the, the words in it in that song. And then by my man, it's like a hundred percent about her internal emotions mm-hmm. in the performance. And I think that that's like so smart that they found two songs that Bryce actually performed that could that could like so clearly parallel each other and like work so well to tell you about the journey that this character has been on. Yeah. And I, I just think My Man is just the perfect song for Barbara to show like her actual prowess over her singing voice. Because I think like yeah. it this perfectly captures like how Barbara Streisand emotes in a song is just completely her own way, mm-hmm. how she'll like elongate phrases to kind of like give emphasis to that. And like, 
very smart, like where she breaks off, like, like you said, like where she shows a little crackle or where she'll um, like be creative with like her consonants or like her, you know, like mm-hmm. how she like puts buttons on, on, on songs. And it's just, it's like the perfect Barbara. Per- song. I also love yeah. it how they use it in a somewhat contradictory way where we just saw her break off the relationship and then she sings a song about how she'll stick by her band forever. And so it makes it clear to me that it's about an emotional truth, not like yeah. a literal truth yeah. that, that she, while she, while she won't be with him anymore, she's going to like stay loyal to him in her heart in some way forever, which I think is like a very heartbreaking notion. Yeah. Um, but I also love the idea yeah. that it's a song that she has been doing in her set in the show and like because of that conversation that day yes that's the day that's that, when it takes yeah. on a new meaning yeah like i think that's really beautiful as well and also ties it does help tie up the bow of being like but she is like a consummate professional at the end of the day and she's still gonna like go do her job because yeah mm-hmm. that's like what's important to her blah 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 now i agree with you adam that i don't think that sharif and uh streisand's relationship on screen is this huge All the it's way not there. this like huge melodramatic big scale love story to me mm-hmm. but there's also something like especially tragic then about the song where it's like i don't like even by the end i don't even quite understand what she sees in him and that mm-hmm. makes it like even sadder that she's she's gonna yeah. remain hung up on this guy for this the rest is why of her I'm life like it, it's so interesting if you just have the only the fanny lens of this musical of like she because like even to in this, you don't really see whether or not he actually loves like you assume because you have no you. We get nothing that indicates that he doesn't love her. Yeah. Um. So you, you just assume. But like everything that you get about their love story is from her. So it kind of every time I watch this, I'm always like, but was it re- like was it reciprocal? Was it like is it just people can't get out of their own way? And like and that's yeah. what, that's what his I, I flaw that- was or. And this is not the most progressive thing, but I think in the in the world of the movie, the fact that he marries her is an indication that he loves her because he has so clearly articulated, like, right. I do not like making long-term plans. And then he's willing yeah. to like make a long-term plan to be with her. So to yeah. me, that really conveys that information. Um, but it would, I think you're right that it would be, it would be a more interesting one if we got it more from her skewed perspective. And if she was unsure about that, yeah, it could, could be interesting. I almost feel too that like, since he got that big winning in the ship, like basically that whole montage of Sadie married lady is like the ways that he reciprocated his love for her. But because in her, if it, because it was in her perspective, it was just like, you know, a a wave of everything all happening at once of like, it was perfect because we love bombed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, He was exactly love bomb because he had the money to like, he's like, Oh, I'm good. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think, Adam, I wish that either if if we had to keep Funny Girl where the A plot is Nick and Fanny, I almost said Fanny again, because if that's the A plot, I either wish she was wise to it the whole time, as seems like was more historically accurate. Mm-hmm. And it was a story about like almost like a Bonnie and Clyde of like they're they're both into this kind of high flying because like, I mean, being a Ziegfeld Folly, I'm sure it was like a pretty like you know, risky lifestyle in some way, like a very exciting way to live. And they they like, we got more of the parallel of like, she takes risks too. Mm-hmm. Or I wish that it had been more from her warped perspective and the gambling stuff was like, there were tiny hints that just like crack a little bit of her veneer as we go along. And like the audience maybe figures it out before she does that he's so like financially unstable. 
And then that would be really nice as well to then like have it be this romantic bubble that we like slowly see it's going to crack, it's going to crack, and then it all falls apart would also be cool. But I don't like the, it felt like they were a little bit in both camps since they weren't really in either for this version. Yeah. I also wish I had just seen more general like passion from them. And I don't know if it was just because they were worried about like. The war. The war. Well, or just anything like I, I wish that we had gotten more of them being like, I feel like they kissed a bunch. So it's not like it doesn't happen in the film. You would like a pornographic scene. But I would like to see (laughs) Omar Sharif's. No, I just naked mean butt. Yeah. I'm naked, but on my screen, um, just like actual everything's very like 1968 film where they're like alluding mm-hmm. to them, like laying down on the on the chaise yeah. lounge together. And like if it was more like their their higher their hot, fiery, intense passion is like why they keep making these destructive decisions, because they're like, well, this is so much. It's like those things, those relationships that you see where they're like they fight all the time, they fight all the time. But then, you know, that they're also like having sex like rabbits and that's why it's like they just can't stop There's with each other SNL um there was like a running SNL bit that was like the couple that should be divorced and it was Amy Poehler and Seth Myers. do you know what I'm talking about no okay I don't, I don't remember what the, it's like the Richardsons or something and they're like do a little interesting they're like the Richardsons the couple that should be divorced and then they like they have all these scenes where they fight really insanely and then they go off stage for like three seconds and come back and they're like so we just had sex so now we're good yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, I wish it's it, that energy that, yeah. for sure um but i do think it's a beautiful song and she sings tom hooper she sings the first tom part hooper. she sings the she first part sings. live to hooper hooper have you heard of singing have you tried <laughs> letting people actually sing in your musicals i think that's what he tried to do actually <laughs> um do we feel like we've we've reached the threshold on everything we can say about this movie. Oh, I wanted to ask, this is something I want to start doing as we wrap up for our little discussion of the film itself. Um, This one's going to be dumb because it's clear, but if everyone was to pick an MVP of the movie, uh, who is your MVP? Mine is obviously Barbara. Should we say someone that's not Streisand to make it more interesting? Okay, I could pick one, yeah. Mine would be um, not the mom, but the, the friend. With like the higher pitched voice. Yes, the like the one who was like, well, hope we get invited at a wedding sometime. Yes. Like that, yeah. Yes. Yes. The one who he let win in their poker game. Yes. Like, even though he had, when like, he had four aces. He had like four aces. Yeah. What's the probability there? What's the probability? Not high. RJ, your MVP is the mom. Yes. My MVP is the set designer. <laughs> for the, okay, for, for the, the room. For the dining room. For the dining room, but also the, like, entire zig the the follies number yeah, the swan the lake. bathtub the swan lake like but like and yeah. oh this was a th- i forgot to write this down but um did you notice the thematic use of alleys in this movie there's an alley outside of her oh, uh, she sings house and, yep which is where they first like have time alone together yes. and everything mm-hmm. like that and then there's also the alley outside the theater and we start with her walking to the theater from the alley and we end with her walking out. And I have this theory that the alley is like the private space. Mm. And that when she's in the theater, the or like her home, it's not quite the forest. It's not a it's liminal the city space. forest. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, it's like when she's like, often when she's inside, it's like her being on stage, literally, or like more figuratively, that she has to like have a public persona that she's putting on to keep things together. And then when she's in an alley is when she's allowed to like have her true emotions mm. and like 
Letnick in. And so um, I think that that was really smart. And I'm guessing it was like a set designer, director, collaboration Production designer type situation. Yeah. I changed my answer. I think the MVP of the movie is the line reading. Hello, gorgeous. That's the MVP. <laughs> That's the MVP. Her looking in a mirror and saying, hello, gorgeous. To which when she won the Oscar, she said to the to statuette. Hello, gorgeous. Yeah. So a little more triumphant than that. Great. A little Hello, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in 1923, Fanny Bryce had cosmetic surgery on her nose and, uh, cosmetic surgery in 1923, I'm guessing was a risky business. Um, and so it sounds like she probably thought that she needed to like pretty it up to try to be in movie because we're starting to get into the movie era. So we're gonna talk about movies in a second. Um, but this kind of became very like symbolically important because, Jewish women and noses are like a complicated history. I read a whole a whole article about Jewish actresses and the question of like, if you have a stereotypically Jewish nose, should you keep it or should you do surgery right. to reduce it? Yeah. So at the time when she did this, she like claimed that it was not about ethnicity, um, but people suspected that that wasn't true. And apparently Dorothy Parker quipped, she cut off her nose to spite her race, um, which was the art Ooh, then the title of wow. the article that I read. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that Barbara Streisand was very famous for refusing to do cosmetic yeah. surgery on her nose and embracing that that was what she looked like. And Barbara Streisand is freaking gorgeous. So like, yeah. amazing. Um, which I think is interesting to contrast with Jennifer Grey. Do you all remember Joel the Jennifer Grey's Grey? Joel Grey's daughter. Dirty Dancing for listeners yes. who are like, yes, yes, yes. sparking something. So she, Jennifer Grey had surgery um, after- First winner of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't remember exactly what, but it, I think it was like the year after her being in Dirty Dancing or something. But basically, everybody assumed that it was the same. It was a story of like, she has a very stereotypically Jewish nose and she like wants to get rid of it. But apparently it was she got one surgery. She had like a bump on her nose and she just didn't like that. She had one surgery to correct that. And then there was like something went wrong with that surgery. So she had to do another one to recover it. And the second surgery is where she like woke up and her nose was like totally different. And now she's like, unrecognizable as Jennifer Grey. Like she's still a very beautiful woman, but she just looks like a different person. She doesn't look like, yeah. So it like totally sunk her career because people like literally didn't recognize her. Like she just looks like a different person. So, um, but she like, Jennifer Grey insists like I was, it wasn't that I was self-conscious about my nose and everybody like put that layer on top of me. And so she's since come out to be like, you know, oh, yeah. people should, you We're know, at pictures embrace, right embrace that like life takes crazy turns. It's kind of her. Yeah, her 2022 message. She's not. She's not Ferris Bueller's sister, is she? Yeah, she is. She is. Okay, okay. Um, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Also, yeah. truly, just never forget that her father is Joel Gray, who is a gay man. I read this whole article about Jewish noses that, like, both it, both put forward that like this is like also like a made up stereotype. Like, there's no such thing as actually a Jewish nose, and like even like she got into. It's a dark reason to, to look at it, but like the Nazis even struggled with like they really wanted to identify Jewish people and there's like no way to do that. You can't actually, right. uh, mm -hmm. there's no like scientific way to identify people based off of their noses. That's like scientific racism. It's totally made up. But um, there is like, there exists in our minds the idea that there's like a more Jewish face and it's like often centered around the nose. So it points out this article that it was like, well, Jewish people have lived in America since it's, well, found white people founding, but you know what I mean? Lived in America for a very long time. It was in the period between 1880s to 1924, where they canceled. were like, what? 
Don't get canceled, Molly. I'm trying really hard not to get canceled. <laughs> uh, so 1880s, 1924 is when we had like revised immigration laws. And this, this is where there was a big influx of Jewish immigrants, but also like more sort of marking them off as being distinctive from other immigrants and like um, discriminatory laws, right? So, but that particularly cosmetic surgery on noses was popular in the 1950s and early 1960s for Jewish women, um, which is, so we're talking very recently post-Holocaust as well as the Red Scare. And it talked about the fact that the, oh no, I should have written it down. The really famous couple that got tried for. Oh, um, uh, uh, Ethel Rosenberg and. Rosenbergs, is that right? Yeah, the Rosenbergs. Yes. So the Rosenberg trial, as well as the fact that a lot of the. Hollywood 10, I think, that the the people who got blacklisted by the House Un-American Activities Committee, mm-hmm. uh, a, a number of them were, it was like six out of the 10 were Jewish. So there was like a real association in the American psyche that like Judaism was somehow related to communism. So this was, that was a time when it was really popular to like try to assimilate. Um, so that's what makes Streisand so, such a like big deal is that now it's late 60s. So she was like resisting that pattern it seems like and then coming out in the late 60s being like i'm really proud of the fact that i look this way i mean i don't know actually has she given interviews like making a statement about why she made the choices she did probably i'm sure she has has. yeah i don't want to ascribe i don't want to assume her motivations but um i think people got a lot of empowerment over the fact that barbara streisand chose not to have cosmetic surgery and change anything about her nose um also interesting is that in the same time period, Bryce started to also like move off of doing so much like racial ethnic comedy mm-hmm. as well, which Wallace, the biographer, points out that it was like a particularly xenophobic and racist climate at the time. But she doesn't quite articulate like, does she mean? And so Bryce was worried about like being the recipient of that bigotry or if she was like concerned that she was contributing, contributing to it or yeah. if it's like some combination of the two. Um, but Wallace also interestingly puts forward that Bryce's routines were only superficially Jewish and did not stem from a deep sense of ethnic or religious identity, mm. which doesn't really seem like a claim you can necessarily make about a person who lived like a hundred years ago. Like, I don't know that we can know her, her actual connection to the characters, but it was interesting to read from like what was clearly, clearly a very Jewish source of like a perspective on Bryce's comedy. Um, so in 1928 is when she made the film My Man which was like her big debut. And she was the first woman to star in a sound motion picture, but it was a big Hmm. box office flop. So there's like no record basically of it anymore. Uh. There's like little bits of it, but it like doesn't kind of exist as a whole thing. Um, And multiple sources seem to say that like they thought that it was her Yiddish, very Jewish uh, styling that like didn't connect to middle America, that people just like didn't have a framework Mm. to understand it. Whereas people in New York obviously had like dealt a lot more with the Jewish community and kind of understood that perspective more. So later in life, she had a really great radio career, particularly centered around the, the character Baby Snooks, which I think is the reference when Streisand's in that like baby doll dress mm-hmm. when Nick gets arrested. Um, and in her memoir, she acknowledged that uh, the way that her career sort of dominated her life, but she also said that she had no regrets and that she lived her life the way I wanted to live. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's really lovely. Uh, yeah, that's... Sorry, I had written something else about it, but it, that's not relevant to what I wanted to say here. So... Um, Bryce had an interesting life and there was something fascinating about her relationship with Nick Arnstein, but was not the not most fascinating the thing most about her at all. And it's the only thing that's too bad about Streisand's rendition in this movie is that probably we'll never get a different film adaptation of the life of right. yeah. Bryce, of course. even though I so think there may be more to say about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, I, the only thing I know past this is she does get married again. Um, yes. and 
that is what Funny Lady, the sequel to Funny Girl, is based oh. on. And the uh, actor who plays the man she marries in the sequel is James Caan. Okay. These are the only I things I know. I saw something about the fact that her children didn't really like her second husband all that much, uh, but she said that like things were always interesting when I was married to him and I, I really liked him. So it wasn't, he was maybe less uh, like dynamic and charismatic than it seems like Nikki Arnstein was, but um, it seems like she was happy with him. So that's good. I just want her to be happy. Dang it. Oh, Franny. Oh, Franny. My good pal, <laughs> Franny, that I know so well. <laughs> All right, so Roger Ebert for the Chicago Sun-Times. Hold on. Are you not going to say what some of the experts say about this movie since I have officially become an expert (gasps) since the last time that we recorded this podcast, Adam? Yeah, go ask it. Okay, as of this recording, Molly is now, has a PhD? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had a ceremony? Is there a ceremony? Do you walk? I could have gone to graduation, but I chose not to. Okay, so Molly has she a PhD. Bought, she bought herself a sheet cake and said, congrats. <laughs> uh, Brad, we alone happen- in my apartment. I happily sent her a copy of Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go, <laughs> as is want to do for any graduate. Any, any graduation. Any. Um, and so uh, now that leaves only RJ and I to be the uh, clowns <laughs> who have no idea what we're actually talking about. Molly is arguing. They only have one degree in theater. And yes. I have three. <laughs> so, I have enough degrees for the whole podcast. Yeah, I can, I'll just give you guys my extras. <laughs> so what are other professional opinions <laughs> like Molly's? <laughs> um, so Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at a 93% certified fresh. Wow. Seven days a week. Uh, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, the trouble with Funny Girl is almost everything except Barbara Streisand. She is magnificent. But the film itself is perhaps the ultimate example of the roadshow musical gone overboard. It is overproduced, overphotographed, and overlong. The second half drags badly. The supporting characters are generally wooden. And in this movie, believe me, anyone who ain't Barbara Streisand is a supporting character. Mm. That makes the movie itself kind of schizo. We don't love that. Uh, it was 1968 when he wrote this. Uh, it is impossible to praise Miss Streisand too highly. Hard to find much to praise about the rest of the film. Are you going to address why there's a picture of Home Goods in the middle? <laughs> because it's from, it was the ad that was playing in the like screen cap. I literally was like, is there a joke on the screenshot like, that he's going to do? Home Goods. What? That's, home uh, goods. It reminds me of this one YouTube video. <laughs> home Goods. Starring Barbara Streisand as the home. As home. Starring as the titular home. It's the titular home. (laughs) Anyway, Ebert's right, except for his uh, ableist language. But yeah, Yeah. great. He he doesn't win them all, but he usually gets it pretty right. I also think that term might have, it might have been one of those opposite uh, attribution things where like it was a descriptor and then it got attached to a medical label. Do you know what I mean? Like he might not have yeah. been referencing the mental illness. I don't know enough about it. 
Well, it's good to comment then on it. Um, yeah, it's good for me to wildly speculate. That's what they teach you in, uh, in PhD yes. school. <laughs> in PhD school. Uh, <laughs> Renata Adler from the New York Times wrote, it is a great credit to the talent of Barbara Streisand that one keeps hoping for three long, solid hours with intermission that Funny Girl will turn out to be something. An old-fashioned musical, a new-fashioned musical, a successful adaptation of the Broadway show, anything with just that breath of the genuine that makes you have a good time or want to cry at moments or respond as one does to musicals with excellent scores and great entertainers in them. Instead, the movie is an elaborate, painstaking launching pad with important talents of Hollywood from the director William Wyler on down, treating Barbara rather fondly, improbably, and even patronizingly as though they were firing off a gilded broccoli. <laughs> I don't know, you know what the classic gilded broccoli we we can all picture it in our minds oh my god when When i think of barbara i think of that gilded ass broccoli yeah absolutely it's the (laughs) first thing people say about her barbara streisand the gilded broccoli i believe is her moniker don't gild the broccoli I think you're really gilding the broccoli on this one, you know. I think, I think they, I think that first sentence really gilded the broccoli. Oh yeah, girl. <laughs> Too long, girl. Is half the paragraph, girl. Oh. Miss Streisand's talent is very poignant and strong, but the movie almost does her in. So, uh, lots I of praise say... for Barbara. Not a lot of praise for much Everything of the rest of the film. Yeah, I resent Amazon Prime for taking out the intermission break that apparently existed when it was first released Depressed. because. I would have loved an indication of where it would be a good time to take a break. I think also we have to briefly talk about the revival, right? Should we do that before the letterbox reviews? With Beanie? That it's gotten bad reviews? Is that what we want to talk about? I just wanted to say that to to the point of all of these reviews about how like it's all Streisand. Yeah. There, I read a couple reviews of the current revival and people said like she can't get out of Streisand's shadow. That like, and mm. that one, it, the, musical is exposed for not being a very good musical when yes, you don't have right. Barbara Streisand level talent right. in that role. And they're like, she's good. She's just not Barbara Streisand, which you yeah. can't really blame her for. And right. it's impossible to watch this and not compare somebody to Barbara Streisand. So I think that's kind of, it's a little bit sad. Well, I was going to say it's a little bit sad because that means maybe this musical can never be done again, but also it's not good. So that's fine. I yeah. Think it's okay that maybe, maybe it can down exist. the road there will that's be fine. a new Barbara Streisand, a, a new Barbara Streisand in their own right will appear. And I did not know that the book was rewritten for the revival. I oh. think it was retooled, but retooled. Not I shouldn't say rewritten. Yeah. Retooled. Uh, do you know who it's retooled by? Harvey Firestein. Harvey Firestein. Mm. I also got very confused that one of the reviews mentioned that it didn't have uh, I'd Rather Be Blue For You, Secondhand Rose, or My Man in it, all the Bryce songs. And then oh. I was like, so were those added to the movie version or did they cut them from the stage show for Feldstein? And that's a really weird decision. And also, yeah. what does it end on if it's not My Man? Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. So I don't know if there might there might also be some book choices that weren't the best. Um, I read I read a review that it just ends on um, her going to an apple orchard and just looking oh, at the yeah. sun. Mm. Yeah, which is 
you know. Well, that's the class. I mean, everyone always says if you don't know how to end your musical, send them to an apple orchard and um, yeah. have a quiet conversation. So <laughs> yeah. I guess that that's probably what they went with. Yeah. <laughs> But on Letterboxd, uh, the people like <laughs> RJ and I listen to our previous episode. Oh, they're loving it. They're rolling right now. They're cackling. Liv gives it four stars and says, I can't believe they made a whole movie about that song from Glee, Rachel Berry's Impact. Amazing. Uh, River gave it three and a half stars and said, Barbara Streisand, would you like to go on a date with me? <laughs> I don't know if she's responded. And Dan gave it five stars and said, <laughs> I laughed. I cried a number of times. I sweat. I danced. I got a shot. I ate and I had many epiphanies. Now, Molly, do you know what this is referencing? I don't. If you click the link underneath that review. I was just about to say like, wow, Adam, you like did a really great job of um, capturing the punctuation of that line. But now I'm very excited to see. I'm sure that you're going to play this for the listeners. Hold on, it's still loading. It says Stan Twitter 101, which is always a good uh, beginning <laughs> to any clip that you're, <laughs> you're opening up. <laughs> I laughed. I cried a number of times. I sweat. I danced. I got a shot. I ate. And I had many epiphanies. Would have fault. Just do being her absolute goop, goop herself. Just, just gooping, the, gooping, gooping all over the place. She, is, she, <laughs> she really gilded the goop in that clip. She truly <laughs> gilded this goop. I have, I have never <laughs> seen the full clip. What this moment is pulled from? It has to be from like an Instagram live. Like somebody asked a question, something. I don't know. Um, I just know that it's truly one of the stupidest like <laughs> five sentences I've ever heard strung hope, together in my life. I hope that it's like because I'm always seeing headlines about her like forgetting that she's been in a Marvel movie. Yeah. So I hope yes. that somebody asked her about a Marvel movie that she had not seen and, and this was what her coming up on yeah. the top of her head of like descriptions of like what are things one would do to react to a movie that I've not seen. I guess I laughed and I I ate and like, gave <laughs> I me got a, a shot. <laughs> The best part is how she, she like is like she's trying to like go down this like happy like, uh, era of like and you know and I like I laughed and I danced and you know and then, and I had a number of epiphanies and she gets so <laughs> serious at the end where she's like I, I can't it can't be that epiphanies. jovial it has to be, yeah we best. have to goop you know we yeah we have to goop we title of that we have to goop. Molly, this week um, you have written a closer. Congrats! Finally, um, now that you have your PhD, you have all this time <laughs> in the world now. I'll, I'll always remember from now on. That's definitely <laughs> a promise that the I will PhD, never break. That's the part of the PhD bond. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your closer? My closer is tag yourself as a bride. Okay. So we have four bride options and we have to decide which of these four the three of us should be assigned to and we'll have one wild card. So I will, for the listeners, I will, I can reread it, but actually, RJ, you so killed the- <laughs> You did, um... you did, you did. The winter, the winter bride is typified by, by Christmas, Christmas frost and fairies. fairies. And, and though the weather is changeable, changeable her, her virtue never wears. Fairies. <laughs> The springtime bride is story-eyed, as poets often say. No other bride would dare to dream the dreams that April, May, 
<laughs> the summer bride is glorified by Merlin's magic touch. A lucky man receives the love of June, July, and such. The autumn bride is prude and wise at sweet sixteen or twenty. And, and as, as a wife, a wife in future life, she'll hold the horn of plenty. Now, I would like to say, go back and watch this clip in this movie. Um, I hope it's on YouTube. Maybe I'll just put it in. Um, in over RJ. Just going to cut RJ reading now. Um, Try to sync them up. Try to have it on yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. My favorite line reading that happens in this film is the Autumn Bride because Tina Fey is in this movie. I don't know if we know this. <laughs> Tina Fey is the one who reads the Autumn Bride lines. She just looks like her. Um, and the way she she has this like deep alto, she's like an alto voice. She's like, the Autumn Bride is prudent wise at sweet 16 or 20. And as a wife in future life, she'll hold the horn of plenty. Plenty. She really bit of a Mae West. Yes, 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 she vamps it up right at the end. It's so good. Um, Well, I will say, you know, there's a lot to be said for the Autumn Bride, but I do think we've all aged out of that role because you can only be an Autumn Bride apparently if you're 16 16 or 20. 20. Not, not 17. Mm -mm. Not 21. No. No, no, no. I think I'm a summer bride. I think Adam, you're a springtime bride. And I think Molly, you're a winter bride. When I look at Molly, I say, oh, Christmas, frost, fairies, such a her virtue never varies. I feel I feel very much that the fairies line does not apply to me. (laughs) Maybe Adam, you're the winter bride. I mean, Adam is a Christmas gay. (sighs) She is. I am. I'm an Easter gay, actually. Um, do you do you do you relate more with poets or or Merlin's magic touch? Um, I think I see. I I like. I actually like the Autumn Bride and the holding the horn of plenty. Yeah, I love a prop. I love a. We love prop comedy. Yeah. First of all. And what's in the Horn of Plenty? Typically a cornucopia. cornucopia. But maybe in my version, a rubber chicken. You know what I mean? Like, what are we what are we pulling out of the Horn of Plenty? Um, a real Fanny Bryce. The here. problem is, is that, again, I'm not 16 or 20. I get, I think we have to cut that line because it's it's going to it's going to hold us back. So, yeah. What rhymes uh, with plenty? I think also <laughs> 16 and 20 could could be the other option. So 36. Uh, that's the oh okay yes <laughs> prude and wise it's Six, sweet 16 and, and 20, 20. <laughs> plus 20 <laughs> uh, uh molly okay well rj have you taken summer bride because uh, i i do i would love merlin to be involved in my marriage in yeah some way. i'm I very into that notion I think I'll pick springtime bride. I think, I think I'm resonating RJ, I with story. Winter bride. You think I'm Christmas frost and fairies? Your virtue never varies. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you just said that so like, well, that's that's a line that we all universally interpret and understand. And absolutely, your virtue it's never one varies. Thing RJ, says about, about RJ. me. It's My LinkedIn profile says RJ Silva, varies. virtue never varies. Very rose. <laughs> Frequently gilds the broccoli, you know, <laughs> just never varies. There's a broccoli I can't help but gild. My God. Absolutely. <laughs> so Molly, you're the summer bread. I think 
I think of the options, I feel that I am the summer bride. I mean, I'm obviously actually, RJ, you're actually, you know what you are, RJ? Oh my God. You're the singing bride. I am the singing bride. Well, we'd yeah. all be the singing bride. If, if, <laughs> That's true. if that was a goddamn option. Um, does you, do you know the, the, like, this child's born on this day of the week poem? Do you know this? No. I know of it, but I, I can't no, recite it for you. I had you to ask you. I asked you, remember? Thursday's child, I asked you. It just reminds me of this poem, so I'm going to tell it to you, and then we can. Monday's child, what day you of the mean? Week I was born now. Yeah, look up what day of the week you were born on. I was born on a Sunday. I was a Friday. RJ was a Friday. I am loving oh, yes. Mine was also a Friday. Okay. <gasps> okay. Monday's child is fair of face. Tuesday's child is full of grace. Wednesday's child is full of woe. Thursday's child has far to go. Friday's child is loving and giving. Saturday's child works hard for a living. And the child born on the Sabbath day is Bonnie and blithe and good and gay. Well, okay. Mama, so, Mama. Mama was born on Sunday. Hey. Accurate for Adam. Uh, <laughs> generous and loving are two words that no one would ever use to describe me. So I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe you were born on the wrong day. I was. Wait, what's Thursday? Has far, far to go. go. As far oh, to the go. places yeah. you'll go. Oh, the was... places you'll go, Molly. I was born like in the middle of the night, so I'm not sure how close I was to being a Thursday. So I think maybe that's that's yeah, really just what claim that for you. If you had come out like a little bit sooner, mm. just, that can yeah. be your re- that can be a reality. I mean, if yeah. they could rewrite Fanny Bryce's story in this movie, absolutely. You... Yeah, my reality is that I was born on a Thursday, and no one can take that away from me. <laughs> so, so we've decided that. RJ is winter. Yeah. I'm summer and Adam is autumn. Yeah. And Friedrich can be springtime. Friedrich Friedrich can be springtime. Dreaming the dreams that no one would dare to dream. He is. Friedrich is story eyed, I would say. Mm. Lovely. Yeah. Friedrich loves to sleep. So no other bride would dare to dream the dreams that April, May, June. July, August. I will say when I heard this, I was misled because I thought they were going to be, oh, I can't wait to hear how they add September, October into the autumn. <laughs> they didn't do it. That's oh, yeah, true. Cause... There's also no months, though, in <laughs> yeah. winter one. Okay, well, this was fun. Um... What an amazing episode. RJ, take it away. No, 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 nobody, no, no. Is gonna run up my plate. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for listening to the best revival of a podcast, Showgaze. You can find us on social media. Adam is at Adam Noecker on Twitter. RJ is at RJ Food Rocks on Instagram. And Molly is at Molly Matiny on Instagram. This episode was edited and mixed by Adam Noecker. This has been an Ampliverse production. You can find our show page and more information at theampliverse.com. If you'd like to send us your own takes on the movie we just watched, reach out to us via email and we might read it aloud on the show. Our email is showgazemoviemusical at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to help others find the show. And now, as always, the show must go on. So stick around to hear what we're going to be watching next episode. Sneakers, and we'll make you a center. Hello, boys. Good morning, Miss Mason. I would really love to see all of you in music appreciation this year, okay? I'd like to see all of you in music appreciation this year. <laughs> you just might. Oh, I think I'm in love. time of the month for a woman to conceive a night I got your pistol right here I've missed my last two periods that's all right, dear. You can make them up after school. What are you going to be when you grow up? A burden on society. <laughs> on forever. Discovering Voices. Building Worlds. The Ampliverse.